Hi, I'm John Zakowski. I'm running for Prince George City Council in this upcoming civic election. Uh, my platform details are very simple. Anybody that's gone downtown and seen the condition of our downtown core realizes it's time for change. Ineffective council, mismanagement of funds, and just disorganization in general has to stop. So, on October 15th, I'm asking you to put a next next to my name on your ballot for Prince George City Council. To find out more about me and my platform, hit www.zukowski.city.ci.ty. Thanks. Hi, Prince George. I'm Karen Muir, and I'm running for City Council. I'm a UNBC grad, a single mom, community volunteer, and designated accountant in the forest industry. I have skills and perspectives that are not currently represented, including financial management and those of a young family. As a chartered professional accountant, I have managed large, complex budgets, cost management on capital projects, and I have expertise in internal controls. My volunteer board experience also has given me skills in governance. My priorities are housing for all demographics, taking care of vulnerable people with respect and dignity, increasing community vibrancy and livability through community arts, culture, and recreation, and moving to a more sustainable and accessible infrastructure. To elect somebody with compassion, accountability, and transparency, vote for me on October 15th. My name is Tom G. Madhouse, and I'm running for Prince George City Council. My platform is built on accountability, transparency, and holding people responsible. Today, I have a very interesting report, which can be used as a great verifiable metric for voters to make change as they want to see happen. Consistent behavior is an indicator of future behavior. Yes, consistent track record is a valid measuring tool that all current and future councillors should be called to defend. It's all proven in the math. This information reiterates my statements to this entire election period. There always needs to be alternative voices and diverse opinions and thought within our government systems. The question is, when if ever did any of our councillors both know over the last four years based on 2018-2020 data? Out of 1,989 calls to vote, the previous councillor to have the most critical voice and to say no was Councillor Streetham. Uh, what could be considered a small amount of no's at 56? McConaughey, 24. Frizzle, 27. The report is pretty clear that the current councillor has a prevalence of groupthink. The list does include some minutes and stuff, but the whole point is that I am that voice. I am looking to make change and I'm going to keep everyone accountable, including myself. Thank you, Carm. Next up is Kyle Sampson. Mike? Check. Hi, I'm, I'm Kyle Sampson. I'm running for city council again this election. I, I uh, first was elected last election in 2018. Over the last four years, I prioritized uh, a number, uh, taking lead on a number of initiatives that are detailed on my website. I've only got a few seconds, so please take a look. Over the next four years, I want to tackle a few issues in our community, uh, community safety, not just in the downtown, but across our entire community, addressing uh, crime issues and prolific offenders, uh, financial resiliency. Uh, we want to uh, look at diversifying our economy and diversifying industry 
base here in Prince George to make sure that we have a prosperous future, an efficient and informed development process. So step one on that is uh, making the process more efficient for developers looking to invest in our community, which will help tie into that financial resiliency piece. And then the informed piece is looking at uh, ways that we can uh, uh, get you involved in that process to try and uh, make sure that our new developments have what we need, parks, trails, recreation access, and more. And then the last piece being a long-range vision for our community looking ahead, uh, not just five years down the road, but 10, 20, 30 years so we can start planning uh, our infrastructure reinvestment and understanding how we're going to get there without just uh, deciding on a whim uh, as it uh, comes at its end of life. So uh, for, for me, I uh, hope to gain your support again this election, hope to answer your questions tonight, and uh, looking for, look forward to chatting with you uh, after this as well for more information. Thanks. Thanks, Kyle. Now we're on to Paul Serap. I'm Paul Sirup. I'm a born and raised Prince George businessman, independent researcher, and author. I live here with my wonderful wife and two young children. I've had a long-time interest in the operations and welfare of the city. Homelessness is a very big issue. It will be discussed next. Another important issue is vaccine mandates. What has been done to Prince George employees has been unconscionable. Did you know that our city government has been judging people's religious faith. One employee of the city has been granted a religious exemption, so this person kept her job and did not have to get any COVID injections. Others that I've talked to were denied. Yes, the city has been judging employees' religious beliefs. One of these persons regularly, excuse me, regularly attended church, went to Bible school, did mission work overseas, and yet she was denied. The city did not have to be in this situation. Kamloops wasn't. And the incumbents may say, we didn't know anything about it. Hard to believe. The buck has to stop with them. What has been done to city employees is horrible, forcing them to have to pick between providing for their families and injections that are not only effective, ineffective but potentially dangerous. Pfizer, for instance, has been forced to disclose that theirs has more than 1,200 negative side effects. If you want to help ensure that this sort of inhumanity is rectified and not repeated, I ask for your vote. Thank you. More info at Paul Serp for Council on Facebook and paulserp.com. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Up next is Richard Cook. Richard? Hi there. Can everybody hear me? My name is Rick Cook. I come from Ontario originally, settled in Prince George in 1984. I worked here as a probation officer, so hello to any former clients I might have had here, but I had a ball with them. My, my special interest here is talking to young, uh, hopeless youth. And increasingly what I'm talking to, and when I go for a long walk with the dog, is youth who have a sense of hopelessness in the community, and they have no sense of optimism about them. They've simply given up. So I have a real interest in that one, particularly because I was a juvenile probation officer and sometimes I see one of my clients here, and I dig him for, are you, uh, your children anything like you? And most of the times they say, well, they better not be. But I had an absolute great time in Prince George, and then I worked with alcohol and drug programs throughout the north. Thank you very much. Thanks, Richard. Next up is Ron Polillo. Hi, Hadi. My name is Ron Polillo, and I'm asking for your support. Uh, for a seat on City Council. It's uh, been an honor and privilege to serve my community the past four years as a school trustee and vice chair, SD57, nearly three decades as a community leader, uh, broadcaster for 27 years in the city, and currently a residential home sharing manager at Aim High. 
A lot of people ask me why I'm running. Well, there's three reasons, but I'll boil it down to one. I believe our community wants change on city council, and I believe that I represent positive change. A new voice, new perspective, and some new ideas. My priorities, first and foremost, a safe and welcoming downtown. We do have significant social issues downtown. But I believe with proper funding, advocacy, meaningful partnerships, collaboration, and learning, we can make a difference. We need to get capital project spending back on track and create more oversight and better reporting. We have to develop a robust long-term infrastructure plan and increase our investments on roads, sidewalks, park maintenance, and development. Uh, improve public consultation and transparency at the committee level and public meetings. The other thing that I'm really excited about is, and the city has started this work now, is develop a compelling and highly successful brand for our city. And finally, a real action plan for truth and reconciliation. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or rompalilla.ca. Together, I believe we can build a positive, inclusive, thriving Prince George. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Up next is Susan Scott. Hi, my name is Susan Scott. I have lived here since 1992 on the traditional and unceded territory of the Clakely Tanay. I'm a wife, a stepmother, a nana, a pilgrim, a chaplain. I'm a lifelong community volunteer and a Prince George City Councillor since 2014. My priorities include the health and long-term sustainability of our economy equitable treatment and support of the chronically unhoused, recognizing and responding to the needs of seniors. So my commitments are to work collaboratively with council, administration, staff, our First Nations partners, other orders of government, and all our residents to build the future we want together to dedicate myself to the hard work of being fully informed of the issues facing our community so that the choices made are the best possible, and to care deeply about the needs within our great city and opportunities to build a better tomorrow. Thank you. Thanks, Susan. Up next, we have Tim Bennett. Check. Oh, there we go. Perfect. Uh, Good evening, everyone. My name is Tim Bennett. Uh, I, too, would like to acknowledge we're on the ancestral lands of the Kalele Tanay, uh, and it's an honor to be able to live, work, and play in such a beautiful area. Uh, I am a dad of four, uh, and it's absolutely love our community. Uh, I grew up here, uh, and we're planning to be here for a long time. When I announced my campaign uh, seven weeks ago now, uh, I talked a lot about the need for uh, a proactive long-term vision for our community. And as I engage with citizens each and every day, uh, I hear the, the positive potential that our community feels for Prince George. Uh, and that's why my campaign is really around building community together. I built my pillars, or my campaign on four pillars, creating change together, building a sustainable Prince George for all, being available, accessible, and families and future generations. If you visit my website, timbennett.ca, I've listed some very tangible and realistic suggestions on how we can address some of these in the short term. These include such things as public washrooms, 
protecting parks and green spaces, low-income inc- low and varied housing for all demographics, how we can implement DRIPA and the calls to action to local government, and how we can look at doing all of this while maintaining a balanced budget. Through my experience uh, serving the community for the last 11 years, plus uh, 16 years uh, as executive director with Big Brothers Big Sisters, I believe I have the passion, skills, and experience to serve our community. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Up next is Trudy Klassen. Trudy? Hello, I'm Trudy Klassen, and on October 15th, I ask for your vote. I We've been in the Prince George area since 1994. My husband and I moved here with uh, th- three young children, and uh, we had a business, a logging business, that we had for over 20 years. It was very successful, but it uh, had an awful toll on our family because my husband was in a logging camp, and I was raising our six kids. Uh, adding to that, I also homeschooled them so to give us the flexibility to go back home and visit family. So our life was busy, uh, and, and, <laughs> and I was the um, so my part in the business was doing the paperwork, the bookwork, the payroll, the uh, financing, and you know parts and everything. And so uh, that that's my business background. Um, during that time, also, I volunteered with children, with various organizations in children and youth, and actually, I'm still doing that, uh, even though our kids are grown. Our youngest, or um, I'm president of the Prince George and District Music Festival, and vice president of the Speech Arts and Drama Festival, and that's that's because that is building into uh, today's youth and our next generation of youth. Um, so on my flyer, I have let's build a thriving city, and that has been my primary platform that I wanted to talk about a lot. And uh, if you go to my website, trudyclausen.ca, you'll see the information there. And on elect accountability, I have paid with uh, for accountability with my own blood, sweat, and tears. I've worked for it in leadership in the organizations that I've been part of. On October 15th, please vote for me, Trudy Clausen. Thanks, Trudy. Up next, we have Wesley Mitchell. Howdy, Wesley Mitchell, honored to be on the Clayton Tenue Territory. I work for Waste Management. I'm also part of the International Union of Operating Engineers, the North Central Labor Council. I also have other positions in town where I drum at the Central Interior Northern Health Society with our unsheltered people every Wednesday at 2 p.m. I also uh, work with the Aboriginal Development, uh, so that's all of School District 57. And with those two, I share my story, I sh- share my culture, and I put forth uh, efforts to help others. I'm also uh, a community leader, and I will continue to be a con- community leader uh, with the Prince George Bruce Kings, uh, the UHMBC Prince George Drummers, and also, uh, you know, with that, I want to continue uh, with perseverance, dedication, and redemption. Uh, I believe in, in a fair budget for everybody, and transparency, and I am part of Team Rubicon as well, and I'm definitely built to serve all my relations. Thank you. Thanks, Wesley. Up next is James Steidle. Hello. Um, James Steidle here. I was born uh, here in the uh, unceded territory, the Clay Leitene, and went to uh, elementary school at Beaverly, high school at College Heights. Went to the big city. I did a master's degree in public policy. Um, I looked at urban studies and fiscal taxation on metropolitan level and looked looked at uh, the uh, provincial property tax system and disparity in, in how that tax worked. Uh, after that, I, I actually worked in various levels of government. I worked in the, the provincial uh, legislative assembly in Victoria. I was a legislative intern. worked in the Ministry of Transportation. Uh, and then I worked at the Metro Vancouver um, 
kind of a quasi-journalist. I went to the board meetings and, and wrote a report on various Metro Vancouver board or uh, decisions, so sewer, water, waste management, that kind of thing. Uh, and then I was also there when, when TransLink, uh, which is the Metropolitan Transportation Authority, was privatized uh, under Kevin Falcon back in 2006, 2007. And I led the charge to keep those board meetings accountable. I ran a campaign called Keep TransLink Public. And you can check that out, the work I did there. Uh, so I've, I've been a strong advocate of the public interest and a strong advocate of accountability and democracy on the local level. Um, after that, I, I kind of got tired of looking at the computer screen, so I started a woodworking business, and that's what I've done for the last 12 years. Uh, it's called Stidal Woodworking, and part of that has been to highlight the... BB We're at time, James. Already? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. 90 James. seconds goes quick. And uh, now we've got Garth Frizzell. Thank you very much. Uh, and as we meet tonight on the uh, unceded ancestral territory, the Claytley today, uh, my name's Garth Frizzell, and it's nice to be here. Just across the street uh, was where my wife and I started the software business, and we bought that building across the street, had 12 employees, and uh, just exciting to, exciting to be back here. That went for, for 10 years, and then I got involved with the Chamber of Commerce, which led on to City Council. But enough about me. I was thinking tonight, what happens if we are all of Prince George, right in this room right now, and we break the room up into quarters? So there's four orders of government. We got municipal, we've got provincial, we got First Nations, and we got the federal government. And we break up the responsibilities. So the federal government, you've got defense, uh, you've got diplomacy, we'll, we'll stop there. Provincial government, you got homelessness, health, climate change, justice. And, and municipal government, if we went by the 2011 standards of roads, water, sewer, safety, well, now let's break up the tax structure. Every dollar that you spend, 50 cents of it's going to go to the federal government, 40 cents of it's going to go to the provincial government, and 10 cents of it are going to go to municipal government. Over the past decade on council, I've been working with colleagues all across Canada to make that share more even. And that's led to $6 million in safe restart for us here in Prince George. We got $10 million for our pool here in Prince George. We got the district energy system. We're at time, Garth. Big problems. Thank you. Thank you. Up next, we have Doug Jeffrey. Uh, welcome, everyone. My name is Doug Jeffrey. Um, I moved here in 1956, and um, my father, Chester Jeffrey, became city comptroller and city manager. I'm proud of his legacy. He was very uh, careful with how taxpayers' money is spent. That's something that I intend to continue um, as elected to council. I'll tell you one funny story. When they built the uh, Four Seasons Pool down um, by City Hall, uh, they had to go down to Victoria to uh, beg for money from the province because the city didn't have the money. So him and two councillors drove down, and when they got there, my dad forced them to sleep in the car, and uh, he didn't want to spend any money on the hotel. You couldn't get away with that nowadays, and they showed up at the provincial office, kind of uh, wrinkly closed and everything, and they got the money. Um, so I'll follow with that same sort of uh, approach. Um, we have to be a lot tighter with our money, in my opinion. There's been some huge overspending in some different areas of the city budget. Uh, one of the things I'm most proud of was I was a coach for the Special Olympics Canada national team. 
I, um, I made some lifelong friends. I got to meet Eunice Kennedy Shriver, um, had dinner with Daryl Sittler, and I also got to shake hands and talk to uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think there's a, a big, um, beautiful thing that being done between caring and sharing, and I think we're losing that sense of community. We're out of time, Doug. Thank you. Thanks, Doug. Up, up next, we have Corey Ramsey. Hi, my name's Corey Ramsey. Uh, I am an incumbent councillor seeking a second term on Prince George City Council. I've lived on, in Prince George on Clayley Territory for the last 20 years. I'm a UNBC grad, and I have a graduate diploma from UVic in public relations. I've worked in the financial services industry for the last 13 years. I'm running because I think it is important that young and female voices are represented around the council table. Some of my include health and the health and social well-being of our community, uh, strategic and targeted advocacy, strong economic growth and resiliency, reinvestment, art, culture, recreation, parks, trails, transit, green spaces, truth and reconciliation, and climate adaptation and mitigation. Uh, to learn more about me, you can visit my website, www.coryramsay.ca, and I hope you'll vote for strong advocacy, advocacy and collab- collaborative leadership on October 15th and vote for Corey Ramsay. Hopefully I got it all in there really fast. You did. Thank you. Up next, we have Colleen Mahoney. Hello. <clears throat> Hello, my name is Colleen Mahoney. Um, I came to Prince George in 1998 to pursue a forestry degree. I came from further up north, and Prince George has always felt just right. Um, I'm also uh, running as a candidate for city council. I'm running for council because I'd like to better see investment in the city's infrastructure. I would like to bring a perspective to council that would value accessibility and sustainable development. As much as we'd all like to have our own way, no one can govern alone. If elected, I would work to find consensus and common ground um, in our local conf- uh, council. Livability, affordability, and community are what make Prince George such a great place to live. I would work with council and city planners to ensure that our official community plan reflects those values and enables resilience within our city environment. Our city is stronger if everyone can participate as neighbors and have access to urban urban green space, safe, accessible transportation infrastructure, and access to food wherever you live in our city. Um, We need to expand our perspectives and make this city one where children, middle-aged people, as well as our elders can live safe, healthy, and active lives. To do this, we need to examine the bones of our city, and we have to be inclusive in what we build, uh, where we build it, and how we maintain our infrastructure. Please participate in your local democracy and vote on October the 15th, no matter how you vote. Thank you. Thanks, Colleen. Up next, we have Chris Stern. Try the other microphone, Chris. Sorry. Okay, I went 10 extra seconds. Uh, Chris Stern here, running for city councillor. I lived in Prince George for 45 years. I've worked for the city of Prince George for 25 years as foreman in various departments. Um, I've been a soccer coach for Timbits. We uh, do floor hockey for kids, married uh, with three children. Uh, The reason I want to run for city council is uh, we got to get our spending under control. When I worked for the city of Prince George, there's some big issues there. Uh, a lot of my supervisors said they don't give a heck until, you know, as long as it holds together till they retire. 
we need to get these people to care more or get rid of these supervisors. Um, another issue for spending money is um, we have a um, external equipment policy where we hire equipment. Uh, my business, I do the same thing that the city does, uh, civil work, water, sewer, roads. And my dump truck's been the lowest dump truck listed. I've never been phoned. I've phoned a lot of the other people on this list. They've never been phoned. And when I was working for the city, one of the big policies was uh, the foreman go around and get kickbacks. And I believe this is still going on. So... I know the inside truce, and I want to make Prince George a better place. Uh, the crews are really good at what they do, but we can tweak it a little better to get uh, things running 100%. We're out of time, Chris. Thank you. Up next is Cameron Stoltz. Cameron? Is it working? Hey, we're good. Hi. Uh, I'm Cameron Stoltz. I'm running for Prince George City Council. Uh, so I'll start with a little bit about myself. Uh, I grew up here in Prince George. Uh, I lived down in the Sunrise Trailer Court. That's where uh, things started. Had some great neighbors and very interesting neighbors. And some of our neighbors were the dog pound, the cemetery, and the sewage treatment plant. Uh, so we got some firsthand knowledge of uh, hiking back and behind the sewage treatment plant as a, as a young child, uh, scouting out the river and going fishing down there. Um, I'm currently married to a lovely lady. We have seven children between us. Uh, and then the two rescue dogs. I think the two rescue dogs deserve the mention because I think they're, they're her favorite out of the seven children. That's just one side thing. Uh, why am I running for city council? Um, I'm running for city council because I'm a small business owner here in town. I own two businesses. One is uh, Great White, plug for my store, uh, Toys, Comics, and Games up in Spruce Land. And over the last couple of years, we've suffered like many other businesses in town have suffered. We've had the challenge of break and enters and thefts and staff being threatened, of having to step over stuff as you go into the back door of your, your business. I'm running because my other business is a commercial painting company. And for four years now, my business partner and I have been delivering projects on time and on budget. But more importantly, what I'm running for is two, two things, and that is one is in looking at how we have available and affordable housing, and we need to tackle that with the next OCP change. I'm Sorry, Cameron, Cameron Stoltz. Time. I'm Cameron Stoltz. I have the answers. <laughs> next, up, next up is Brian Skagen. I'll just remind everyone that our timekeeper is down here. Signs. You're going to have to hear else. Thanks. Oh, Just having to do some shuffling with some microphones here. I could do a little ballet unless you want to. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just go work camera. Boy, thanks. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for being here, everybody. And, uh, okay, well, it's, uh, okay, here we go. Um, my name is Brian Skaken. I've been on city council since 2002. I ran first time in uh, 1999. That's a long time ago. Uh, I've been through four mayors, four city managers. You know, uh, a number of great city council colleagues uh, that I've worked with, and I, I think we have a great staff at the city of Prince George, and part of our success at council is because we have such hard-working people there. Um, economic development, housing, uh, we've done a number of things working with uh, Minister Ebby, the uh, Union of BC Municipalities, North Central Local Government Association. Uh, transparency is a focus of mine, but when I came in here tonight, I, I didn't have a, a speech prepared. Um, the police swarmed in. Uh, they arrested a guy. Um, I guess they had to pepper spray him because uh, he got violent. He was covered in blood. 
you know, and they, and they put him in his vehicle and uh, in in their vehicle, and it, it was just it was shocking. But we're in a mental health crisis right now, the drug crisis, you know, and seeing that. Um, it's alarming, but it happens all the time. Our RCMP members, our frontline social workers, and all of them are doing an amazing job, but we can't do it on our, on our own. We need the federal government. We need the provincial government to step up with housing, more he- mental health help, mental health facilities. You know, I, I just hope that that person there is going to get some help. But, you know, his face was covered in blood. He couldn't breathe, you know, and uh, and, and the police had to do their job. But it, it's shocking, and that's what's happening downtown in Prince George on a regular basis, but you know, we, we haven't lost. Um, if I'm reelected, I'm going to continue to work hard on your behalf. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. You can hang on to that mic, actually, because we're going to start with you for the first round of questions. So, Ever- <laughs> there you go. All right. All the candidates will have 30 seconds to answer these two questions, and we'll go around this way, and then we'll That's go back it. around that way. Those are the questions that um, yeah. I was sent on Monday but didn't read, I guess, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. So one question. Right. Can we get both? Or? Okay. All right. Brian, to you. How do you propose to address the housing and homelessness issues in Prince George? Well, as I've said, the, uh, I'm the chair of the Intergovernmental Resolutions Committee with uh, Kyle Samp and uh, Susan Scott. We do a lot of hard work uh, lobbying senior governments. We will uh, we'll dedicate land like we did with the First Avenue uh, facility. I think it cost us something like $3 million. We'll work with BC Housing, different community partners. We can't do it on our own. We don't have the resources to do it on our own. But myself and my council colleagues, and I hope the next council will be committed to working with senior governments to reach our goals and and at least uh, eliminate some of the homelessness. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Up next, we have Cameron Stoltz. Same question to you. Hi, I'm Cameron Stoltz. Uh, when we're looking at dealing with the housing problem in the downtown, the unhoused, uh, there's two pieces here. One, the support of housing on First Avenue, I fully support. I think that's a great piece of work the last council has done. We need more versions of that in our, in our uh, community. The other thing is we need more available rental housing, uh, more available rental space. And we deal with that in the official community plan, CameronStoltz.ca. How do you answer something in 30 seconds that's like a five-minute discussion? Succinctly. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Chris, same question to you. Um, What we need to do is find out how many homeless we have. I haven't heard of a head count lately. And, and see exactly how many spaces we got to come up with. Uh, another issue I'm concerned about is wintertime. Uh, these people that do have a place to go, if they're impaired, they're not allowed in. They're turned out. So if it's 20 below, these people are turned away in the cold. we we got to come up with a better solution. Thanks, Chris. Up next is Colleen. Colleen Mahoney. Um, what is it? Housing and homelessness are related, but they're not necessarily the same issue. To address housing as a city, we need to look at mixed-use zonings and mixed, mixed housing types and retrofitting what we have. Um, having affordable, livable housing that reflects accessibility for all ages and stages mixed with neighbors and supports, this is, a lot, is what allows a community to thrive. The larger problem of the unhoused stem from multiple causes. There isn't really a silver bullet. As a city, we need to better understand the problems that got us here. We need to advocate and hold accountable the government's responsibility and fill the gaps with infrastructure and community. Thank you. It is rapid fire. Uh, Up next, Corey Ramsey. 
Uh, thanks. Uh, so advocacy and partnerships are huge for me. I think we definitely need to be doing advocacy to the province, partnerships with BC Housing and, and Northern Health. We need to be doing bylaw amendments to our Parks and Open Spaces bylaw, uh, uh, perhaps uh, uh, abandoning or reviewing uh, the the... Anyway, I'm not going to yeah. – creative solutions. Uh, I asked at our one of our last council meetings for uh, staff to come back with recommendations to help us achieve our 10,000 units of housing that we need over the next 10 years. Uh, and land reserves, I think we need to be putting money aside uh, for deals with BC Housing, which Thanks, a lot Corey. of municipalities are doing. Everyone's got to speak like an auctioneer. Up next is Doug Jeffrey. <laughs> 86% of first-time buyers would consider buying a tiny home. Tiny homes are typically 400 square feet or smaller. Smaller home means no burdensome mortgage. Young people, elderly people, small families, they all want to be free themselves from debt. A single-family home in the 50s was around 1,000 square feet. Now in 2018, it's 2,600 square feet. The average size of families is shrinking. A tiny home makes a lot of sense for people that are going through a housing crisis. The homeless crisis is different, but I've suggested tiny homes. Thank you, Doug. Uh, Garth Frizzell, please. (laughs) Test. This is a problem because we have massive problems and we don't have a lot of time to fix them. Uh, Four years uh, is going to be better, but we have to work with our partners. Uh, CMHC has identified how much it'll take, how much it's going to cost to get housing for all of the homelessness in Canada. They rolled out the first first version, Rapid Housing Initiative. The second one is going to come on in December, and we have to hit the ground running. I'll work with the new council and the new mayor to get a select committee to focus resources and focus time on getting this solved and getting the application in. Thanks, Garth. In time. Up next, we have James Steidel. Yeah, I think I think one word: uh, creativity. You know, we had we had some great opportunities in this town, and we and we let them go. So the Simon Fraser Hotel, I've talked that, about that a bunch. I believe there was 120 units in there. We had 11 million dollars of renovations. Was torn down. Uh, we with the city bought it for four million. So I mean, that's one one thing we could have looked at. Uh, also, as, as far as short term emergency housing, like the Four Seasons Pool that we just tore down, and that that building had heat, and we could have had people sleeping in there for the winter for the short term solution. Thanks. Thank you, James. Wesley Mitchell. Uh, there is two. There's unsheltered and sheltered. The unsheltered, I want to ad- advocate for shelters that can include couples, belongings, bring their animals in, and they can use safe drugs and smoke them inside there. Uh, I want to advocate for, for them to be categorized under drug, mental health, homelessness, and uh, addiction in different categories for these places, in different zones in town. The sheltered, we have families that are living with their elders and their youth. We need to have affordable housing, and we need to work with uh, places that will subsidize low barrier, uh, such as uh, Aboriginal housing, which is not only for Aboriginal people. You can use it, and it's new developments. Great job. And we're going to go with Trudy Klassen next. Hi. um, So we have 168 unhoused. That is, if we count $20,000 per uh, to house somebody that is unhoused, that is less than 10% of our policing budget. So there's an answer there. And uh, we have four year. I have friends who are new developers. For four years, they've been waiting on permits to build housing, and they are doing mixed housing. And uh, for four years, they've waited. In the last eight weeks, a pile of them came through. What's going on with that? Why in the last eight weeks? Thank you, Judy. Uh, Tim Bennett. 
So I think it's really about a balance. How do we address and support the immediate needs of our public? So looking at things like public washrooms, food security, and preparing for the winter months for our unhoused. We then need to make a housing first priority. We need to look to add affordable, low barrier, uh, and various housing opportunities. We also can look at what other communities are doing, such as Prince Rupert, who has changed their zoning to allow for more rentals so that... Uh, young professionals, families, and seniors can live independently in low-cost, affordable rentals. Thanks, Tim. Up next, we have Susan Scott. Check the mic. Check. (laughs) In addition to what I've heard, I believe we need to be better informed about who is living on our streets and why. Where did they come from and what are their needs? In turn, what have we as a city not just City Hall, done to establish our needs and norms? How are we connecting with one another? I'd like City Hall to participate in solutions, not to impose them. Enforce security as a, as a needed baseline. Thank you, Susan. Up next, we have Ron Palillo. Ron? Um, housing. Got to house the unhoused, in particular supportive housing. Mental health and addiction treatment. Advocacy to senior governments, land acquisition. And I talked about this last night, the medicine help model, that it's the first city in Canada to achieve net zero, net zero homelessness. That I think we can learn from. So there you go, in less than 30. Thanks, Ron. Up next is Richard Cook. Hi, everyone. I can honestly say we needed medicine help people to lead us what has really worked instead of messing around doing absolutely nothing except more meetings. So we need some action. We need the uh, permits to go through in a day and a half and get these bloody things built. Okay? There. Thank you, Richard. Up next, uh, Paul Sarah. Paul. The homeless need help, compassion, but it is also not fair that businesses downtown and residents pay an inordinate price. Regarding this, I favor establishing a state-of-the-art recovery center at a more remote part of the city and having services there. At the recovery center, it would then be found out what each one is homeless. You've had uh, four years to find that out, Susan. An action taken to assist them holistically, mentally, physically, spiritually to get well. Mental illness, drug addiction, and other issues so that each one can thrive and downtown also. Thank you. Thanks very much. And up next is Kyle Sampson. Uh, so housing and homelessness, I think, are two separate but connected issues. So I won't dive into homelessness because I don't have the solution entirely, but this is a piece of it, housing, uh, which will help prevent people from becoming homeless as well. We need affordable housing. Uh, not just saying we need affordable housing, but uh, actions that we can take. Uh, we can do more projects like the First Avenue Project where we can buy land and partner with the province rather than just have our hand out and ask them. And we can also advocate to the province and the federal government for more funding as well. And lastly, I think a real uh, an issue that we can take for developers is creating a fast-track lane in our development process for those who are building affordable and uh, accessible Thanks, housing units within. Yes. Thank you. Carm? I propose no more talking, no more studies. I, I'm talking about action. I uh, hire an ex-social worker. There's all volunteer assistant that's been in this battle for years. Her first task will help me organize all the stakeholders, advocates, and contacts within the homeless and marginalized population and the entire business sector with the collective goal of solving the homeless crisis together. We're going to create social media platforms, point to a website with transplant solutions, expose the barriers. That's the key. That's what hasn't been really been happening. I'm sure the guys have been working before. We're going to expose all those barriers. Thanks, We're Carl. all going to work together. Up next, we have Karen Muir. 
Thanks. Uh, so I think we need to increase the supply of housing for all demographics, including accessible housing, supportive housing, and low-barrier housing. We also need to do it thoughtfully and use density and infill to do this so that we can provide or put on the lowest burden for expensive infrastructure uh, so that it is more sustainable for the future for our city. Thanks, Karen. And uh, lastly, John Zakowski. John. Well, the, uh, the beautiful thing is the next council coming in is going to be looking at revamping the OCP next year. The bonus is with that we'll be able to turn around and push the concept of more mixed-use housing and encourage developers to include more mixed-use housing in their proposals before the city and before rezoning. Uh, this way, we're assured we're going to get a lot more housing available moving into the next year. Thanks. Thanks, John. You can keep that microphone. We're going to move on to the next question in this rapid-fire uh, round. <laughs> so the second question is, what are your priorities for improving economic development in the city of Prince George? Well, uh, let's – oh, yeah, I've got 30 seconds, haven't I? Yeah, he's nodding at me and smiling as he's holding a sign. Um, the beautiful thing is we've got a, a trade-free zone at the airport. We're not maximizing the use of that. There's many things in Prince George that we're not maximizing to its full potential. We've got the university. We've got the uh, College of New Caledonia. We have uh, great educational bases here. We need to maximize all our avenues, and we get a start as soon as we can. Thank you, John. Uh, Karen, the same question to you. Uh, I think we need to take the opportunities given to us by our location, you know, the highways, the rivers, the uh, rail. Uh, we also need to reduce burdens and challenges for small businesses, particularly ones looking to relocate downtown and the high cost of capital improvements to some of those empty spaces. We need to encourage innovation to support both industries and the environment at the same time. And we need to be a vibrant community that attracts skilled people. Thanks, Karen. Up next, Carm Manhas. My priorities for improving the economic development in the city will be to focus on local and regional economy first. For example, I propose that we become food independent, as it can be seen in my third platform piece. This solution will offer an opportunity of food security to build in to solve other important challenges. I propose we use our college and university better to, ver to determine variometrics right, to propose economy right here in Prince George. How many plots of land would it take to feed uh, potatoes across, chickens uh, for eggs? Thanks, Carm. We're out of time. Over to you, Kyle. Same question. Thanks. I think uh, the number one step we can take is actually working with our provincial partners. Uh, they have a real desire to advance uh, the industry uh, growth in northern BC. If we want to partner with them and come up with uh, mutual goals for carbon reduction and industry that meets those goals and helps us achieve them, then I think we can come up with a plan together to attract that industry, similar to some of the work that's been done recently, like the hydro plant, uh, the Arbios plant, and uh, more. So I think it's working with the provincial government and other stakeholders is our first step to come up with a strategy that meets both of our goals. Thanks. Thanks, Kyle. Up next, we have Paul Serup. Am I on? Yes, yes. The city needs to be an attractive place for businesses open for commerce, and unless there are good reasons not to, new enterprise and economic opportunities welcomed to provide a greater tax base and jobs for all, especially our young people. Permits and the like need to be quickly dealt with by a city as it to not swap business can conditions downtown again has to be have to be significantly improved if businesses there are heard of citizens don't feel safe to going there business people in other parts of town also need to be consulted to keep things 
being improved. Thank you, Paul. Thanks. Richard, same question. Thank you. Thank you. We need to start training our kids to chase after careers that are available in the green industry. I don't think we've done very much to attract those industries here, but that's where the future is. It's not with the logging industry anymore, although we have a traumatic uh, in, uh, history with them, but green is uh, what we need to pursue for our kids and for adults. Thank you. Thanks very much, Richard. And up to next is Ron Palillo. Um, diversity, attracting diverse um, opportunities t to come to the city. In particular, I think we need to focus on the downtown and help our downtown. Incentives, um, partnerships, I believe we can utilize CNC and UNBC. That is um, um, two institutions that can help us. And uh, permit-based. Uh, permits have to come quicker to help uh, economic development throughout the entire city. Thank you, Ron. Over to you, Susan Scott. The city's economic development department works with local employers in the areas of recruitment, development, and retention. The new manager has been focused on many opportunities that we can pursue. <clears throat> Prince George is well positioned to be a major supplier of hydrogen as a clean fuel to participate in the mines that are expected to open in response to rising demand for metals and rare earths and to ship products globally through the expanded port of Prince Rupert. I support nice time, enhancing Susan. the... Thank you. Up next is Tim Bennett. So as a community, we can talk about the fact that we want to be open for business, but then we have to make sure that the processes are in place that we can truly bring that business here. I think we need to make sure that we have the amenities and supports to not only recruit people to our community, but to stay there. We have a lot of people who come to town for post-secondary and then feel they don't have the amenities in our community to stay. And a large part of this development is also around consultation. As a city, we need to not only be a cheerleader for our community, but we need to also help facilitate and ensure consultation with the public so the public is open to these opportunities. Thank you, Tim. Uh, same question over to you, Trudy Klassen. Um, hi. One thing that was asked, what is your favorite thing about this uh, city of Prince George? I was going to write people, the people, but then I wrote the resilience of the people. In talking to almost probably 500 business business owners here in town, I am just uh, amazed at their resilience. They have been dealing with a city hall that has been unfriendly for so many years, and that is something that is my top priority. I want to build a thriving uh, city that, ha that maximizes the industry here in town and promotes business as well as throughout the north to lead the north in, in, in natural Thanks, resource Trudy. development. Up next, we have Wesley Mitchell. Uh, it's a partnership between the local and uh, regional development. We want to keep it local signatory contracts. We want to have our materials local. Uh, we want to keep uh, with the regional. We want to keep with the Cleetly Nation. Uh, within, our, within our local, we want to have the knowledge from our early child development, youth sport, which you know, I'll go up to youth sports, so UHMBC and CNC, get that knowledge and, uh, you know, Bring, uh, bring diversity as well with all this knowledge and, and always keep it local. Thank you, Wesley. Uh, same question to you, James Steidel. Yeah, um, urban sprawl is not a sustainable economic development model, and that's kind of the path. I think that's what we're depending on. I think we've got to get back to the basics of, of our economy. We need to uh, do food, forestry, and manufacturing. I think we have to produce stuff. Uh, we have a tremendous agricultural potential in our region. We can look at our food security. We used to have uh, dairies. We used to have milk production. We lost all that. Uh, egg production. 
Uh, in forestry, we can do more value-added stuff and less volume. We need to get a community forest and get people building stuff like I do with my woodworking business. Thanks, Lots of James. opportunity there. Thanks. Next, same question to you, Garth Rezal. Thanks. I'm uh, one of the instructors on a UNBC CNC Indigenous Entrepreneurship course, and we were going through the class today, and the diversity of new businesses that are coming out are really brilliant. That's what we got to harness. Here in Prince George, that may mean a lot of clean tech. We've got great industry and light industry that can be uh, can be brought around to clean tech. The hydrogen example, for instance, is a huge opportunity. Uh, we can use CNC and UNBC to bring people on board and move up Prince George. We've got to attract the best and the brightest. Thank you, Garth. Over to you, Doug Jeffrey. Canada's greenest university to Canada's greenest city. Many multi-use paths get citizens and tourists enjoying the outdoors, ecotourism, convert the bus fleet to all-electric. We have two bus manufacturers that are building from the ground up for Canadian winters. They're being built in Quebec. Uh, green economy, tiny homes, subdivision, affordable non-market housing for seniors and new young people caring and sharing. And the province should build a large state-of-the-art mental health facility in B.C.'s northern capital. Thanks, Doug. Up next is Corey Ramsey. Uh, thank you. Uh, so I think uh, reducing our permitting times uh, for developers, uh, working on pre-zoning, uh, there's a great example in Squamish where they did this and it worked really well. Working on our economic development strategy uh, to entice new sectors and build on the existing ones. Uh, to better utilize uh, the, the foreign trade zone around the airport. I think all of these are uh, some great starts uh, that could really help us uh, uh, develop our economic development within the city of Prince George. Thank you, Corey. And over to you, Colleen Mahoney. I think you kind of always have to look at, if you build it, they will come. If we ensure that we stay an affordable, livable, sustainable northern hub for education, health, transportation, natural resources, people will want to live here with their children and their parents. We need to provide opportunities for redevelopment quickly. We need to be able to rezone. We need to retrofit within our city. Our perspectives need to look at what, where, how we build and maintain the bones of our community. We need to create and take opportunities to build the relationships and partnerships with others that share our our vision. Thank you. Thanks, Colleen. On time. And it's Chris Stern up next. Chris Stern running for City Council. Um, economic development, we have to bring in more tax base. The best way to do that in Prince George is we have the fourth biggest runway in North America. Uh, Boundary Road is basically empty. we got to get these big industrial places in that don't pollute. It has to be uh, green-friendly and get this tax base built up. Uh, when I worked for a building inspection, uh, a common theme was to hold back the permits, even though they were done. They, we were told them for 10 days for no reason. And I believe these practices are still going on. Thank you, Chris. Uh, over to you, Cameron Stoltz. Thank you. So, sorry. Uh, hi, I'm Cameron Stoltz. Uh, for me, economic development is looking at the bigger picture. Uh, just to the north of the city of Prince George, we have a heavy industrial site that's been identified by the regional district of Fraser Fort George. Unfortunately, it's not being used or promoted right now. I think we should be put, taking the effort to develop that. It's outside of our airshed. It's a clean, safe space for heavy industry, and it allows for great future jobs for our, our children and our children's children. Thank you. 
Thanks, Cameron. Up is, next is Brian Skaken. You just have to stand up, Brian. So we're gonna, we have a short microphone cable for, for poor Brian. <laughs> forcing me to stand here. So, uh, yeah, thanks for the ask there. I think one of the key things we need to do going forward is to rely on our First Nation partners. You know, the tourism, the uh, uh, art, gar- uh, guided nature tours. Like, if you really look at it, some communities are really proactive with that. That's a niche. Boundary Road's been mentioned. I also want to mention our... Our outdoor uh, uh, nature in that, the uh, Pernary Trails, the Cranbrook Greenway, what our mountain bike groups are doing to attract tourism in Prince George, there's a number of things. You know, and I think most of all, we got to be able to sell our community and say how proud we That's are of Prince George. Brian, thank you. Thank you. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank all of the council candidates who were able to, to show up here and, and uh, answer these questions and give their introduction. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll have a a, a, a panel moderated by Reg Fair from CFIS, and then mayoral candidates will be after that. You ever thought to yourself, boy, it'd be nice to have a show that only features pop, rock, into a from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and the odd time a little bit nearer? Well, you found the place. Saturday evenings, 9 to 11, it's all the map with Jimmy James, and it's the show that does feature pop, rock, into a from those decades. There's also the 930 1970s feature track, the 10 o'clock double shot, and to put the wraps on every week's show, the final vinyl feature. So tune in Saturday evenings, 9 to 11. It's all the map with Jimmy James, only here on 930.1 CFISFM. Minds in Motion is a weekly program provided online for people experiencing early symptoms of dementia and their care partners. Each session has a 31-minute fitness video followed by a 45 minutes of social time. Sessions are offered Tuesdays and Wednesdays from 10 to 11.30 and Thursdays and Fridays from 1 to 2.30. For more information or to register, call the First Link Dementia Helpline at 1-800-936-6033 or email info.helpline at alzheimersbc.org. Owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society, you're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 FM. Prince George 5-Day Forecast from Environment Canada. A few clouds tonight, winds in the south at 20 and a low of 2. For Thursday, mainly sunny, south winds continuing, a high of 17. Thursday night, a few clouds, south winds becoming light near midnight, low of 4. Cloudy on Friday with a high of 14. Saturday and Sunday, sunny each day, lows near 6, highs of 18. And the long-range forecast for Monday and Tuesday, a mix of sun and cloud each day, lows near 5, highs around 15. And we're doing a little uh, roundtable discussion about what we just heard on the first half of tonight's show. Uh, joining me in studio, Eric Allen. We have Jeff Corbus, uh, UNBC alum. Yes, sir. Uh, and Mike McGuire, who uh, usually shows up on a different show. But uh, tonight we're going to hear uh, opinions, thoughts, what you heard, what you liked, what you didn't like. Uh, we'll start with Eric, uh, your, uh, your thoughts of what we heard in the first hour of the show. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, it's nothing that uh, I haven't heard before right? many, many times. And so there's that gap between, you know... What's said and what gets done? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, there's never uh, a gap there, is there? Come on. <laughs> you know, uh, we've got lots of time to get into this, so mm-hmm. I'll just... Uh, I've got a few things I want to touch on later on, but okay. it, there's this is not good. Like, we're not going anywhere with this type of a deal. It's just, we're just going in circles. Dog chasing his tail, so to speak. So we need something specific. Right. We need somebody to stand up and say, this is what we're going to do. Have a plan. 
and then start working on it. And never now, mind to talk. Well, in defense of the council candidates, they did not have a whole lot of time, and a lot of them did refer you to websites that would have, I would think, more details. Uh, so let's let's maybe leave it at that and see uh, if people want to investigate the particular websites that they got sent to. Uh, Jeff, your thoughts, nice and close to the mic. Sure, maybe I'll I'll go with um, something I thought was was uh, a positive to to hear, and that okay. was to hear uh, a few of the council um, candidates speak about um, where the university and the college um, how how they can be utilized to build economic development in the community. Right. Yeah. Um, that's something that I've I've not heard a lot of from city council before, and and I think there were four or five councillors that, that mentioned that that was a, a piece of their plan. So a little bit of a positive for the, the mm-hmm. higher education sector in town. Yeah. Um, negatives? Or are you going to leave that to Eric? <laughs> oh, I can handle that. Yeah, you know, on the homeless and housing thing, it's the yeah. same, the same, the same, right? Right, it's right. Empty platitudes, more mental housing, more advocacy, more partnerships. These are right. great to hear, but like, like um, was said before, right? There's without a, a plan, like we're going to do this, this, and this. It, to me, it's all empty platitudes. Yeah, and and again, uh, I, I think some of the candidates probably have those points on their website, but the limited time they had. Uh, for this, and that's that's our fault. We thought, okay, just an hour for the councillors, and then uh, because the, the the other part of this is we're going to be electing a brand new mayor, so uh, we thought they, that needs to have uh, if just as much, if not more, of a focus. Uh, Mr. McGuire, your your um, your takeaway. The funny thing is, is I ran for council in 2004, you I think. did. And this is the same schlock that they're dishing out again. It, you know, right. and, and my issue, if, I, if you want my opinion at yes, this point, that's what is the there's, is uh, there's some councillors up there that, have, uh, you know, that are talking the same talk that they talked four years ago with zero action in the last four years. And for that matter, you know, we talked about the downtown in 2004. Right. We probably talked about it in 1979, and no one has ever done anything. Well, wouldn't you agree, though, that there has been a lot of uh, development in the downtown in the last four years? In what respect? Uh, New pool, new housing, new hotels. Anything that solves a problem, in your opinion? Well, I'm not here to we're, voice I mean, opinions. We're, we're, I'm asking you. We're building some really pretty buildings, and that okay. is not addressing the issue. Right. Okay, good point. Uh, Eric, your thoughts on that? Is That goes back to kind of what you were saying, what, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it is. You know, if we look at the, the number of public buildings that we've built, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's the... Uh, well, there were some of those are private buildings, right? Oh, no, so I the, know, the but I'm just talking about the, the money housing. spent. Right. Uh, like on the sports center and on... I think we got two swimming pools. We got six hockey rinks, and it goes on and on and on. We're spending money on yeah. recreation all the time. Actually, it's third most expensive uh, or expense that we have in the city. Okay. So, and I agree, it doesn't necessarily do anything because they never use the the right numbers. They use the numbers that work the best for them. So, there's four hundred thousand people fly into Prince George in a year or ride a bus in a year. But when you break that down, when I see a bus go by, I count yeah. six. You see? Six the library, long. I got a friend yeah. that swims that counts every day. They count him 365 times. Like, you can't go out and start planning things using those kind of numbers. We need the real numbers. Yeah. Are we building uh, art centers and swimming pools, 25, 30, 40 million dollar swimming pools for 800 people? Right. 
sounds like yeah, it. Yeah, what percentage of the population actually uses it as opposed to the number yeah. of visits. And then, look at, and then look at how they're used. Right. I mean, I have no problem with people who play soccer. It's wonderful. But it's only, uh, only a month a year, two months a year. The rest of the time... They're not playing hockey. That's the problem. <laughs> it's a summer sport. It is. That is true. And the, the one thing about the, about the facilities that, that, that a lot of people talk about is how they will help us attract professionals. Um, Business professionals. As opposed to... Well, <laughs> as opposed to what? sports professionals. Yeah, yeah, when you're yeah, talking facilities. Yeah, professionals. Okay. Doctors, yeah, lawyers. Uh, exactly. Doctors, uh, yeah. professionals, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. And that's what, that's what is said. Now, whether it works or not, I'm not certain. Yeah, that that would be a good. Uh, but that is a justification to, for to look at is is does it actually attract um, uh, that that type of person mm-hmm. to our city? Uh, Jeff, your thoughts on on this uh, diatribe against uh, facilities in Prince George? Well, I'm not against them. Don't get me wrong. No. I, but no. yeah, that I, is I, one no, of the yeah. arguments used. We do need a performing arts center while I'm while I'm on my soapbox. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, I think Eric's going to disagree. Well, you, you, don't have a microphone, you don't have a microphone, Steve, so. Yeah, we, no. Okay, so Jeff, Jeff, you're, you're shot on this. I, I do agree. Um, having, you know, having sports facilities, having art centers, having stuff like that is important um, in terms of building a community. Um, the way that some of the new, the last development was done, you know, the, the referenda around the fire station and, right. and the, um, the pool. You're asking the city to make a decision where we don't have all of the, you know, all of the information. We elect people to do that for us. I thought that was pretty crappy of our last right. elected government to do. Well, uh, I really don't want to see that out of the next mayor and council. Okay. Well, Eric, you're you're heavily involved. You were heavily involved in campaigns against uh, some of those. Uh, what do they call them? Uh, reverse. Although the approval process. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the issue was that the uh, the swimming pool and the fire hall. Went to a referendum, and that's what we call apple pie and ice cream things. Everybody says, "Oh well, you got to have a swimming pool, and you got to have fire. What if your house catches on fire?" Oh yeah, I never thought of that. But uh, but it was the thirty-two million dollars that they were borrowing at the same time, and they didn't go to referendum on that. They uh, right. they went to an alternate approval process, and then they put it out as eleven pages. Right. Each different project, you had to sign eleven times. Can you imagine going to somebody's door and his wife and his kid? Uh, so there's three of them got to sign, and you're standing there waiting because you got to fill the form out and sign it. It was insane. And the, you know, if you look at the community charter, it says they're supposed to help us with this AAP. They were doing everything they can to make sure that it failed, and it did. Yeah. We could. I had people quit. Obviously, I can't do this. This is insane. And so they borrowed the $32 million. It disappeared into the sunset, basically, I think, to cover some of the uh, overruns that they had. And uh, if they had put it out there with, as one, with a swimming pool, the, mm-hmm. uh, the fire hall, and the $32 million, they'd all gone down. Right, so, right. so they did it the way it works for them. Okay. Uh, Mike, let's talk a little bit. We've, we've got the uh, six mayoral candidates. I think all six are here. I didn't uh, notice if anyone was missing. Uh, coming up in the next part of the show, are these some of the questions that should be posed to the uh, potential new leaders about uh, the alternative approval process? Is that something they maybe should be looking at getting rid of? You know, we we elect them to to make those decisions. Right. So, oh, did we elect them to make those decisions to ask us to make a decision? 
to me, it makes no sense. Right. I mean, if you put them in place, it, it's almost like a mitigation of risk where they they oh no, we didn't choose to do that. That was a that was a people. We, yeah, short, we put it out there and short. not enough yeah. people said no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if people do the research and. Good God, I wish they did. Right. Um, they would elect the correct candidates who would make the right choices. Right, right. So th- this whole approval and, process makes no sense. And to actually, me. you're probably on target with that because that last uh, alternative uh, approval process that Eric was talking about had all these different items that they probably could have approved one at a time. Instead, they wrapped them all into this big $32 million package and said, tell us no and we won't. Which yeah. seems a little odd. You can make those, and Eric probably can address this better than I can. You can make, you can steer those how you want to steer them. Exactly, exactly. I phoned the uh, ombudsman or somebody in Victoria or the person responsible for alternate approval process, and I said, "Have you ever, ever in your lifetime seen eleven different?" Right. Uh, things on one alternate on one. approval process. He said, no, never. Yeah. The closest thing that ever came to it was five in a regional district, which you could sort of understand because regional district's pretty big. But no, it was a setup and, and it was just to get what they want. And they don't seem to have any qualms about that. And that's what's got to stop is we have to start being realistic about what it is we want to do and how we're going to do it. This person that wrote this article, uh, Daphne Braham or something out of uh, Vancouver, I think. Anyway, just a, a one-liner here. One thing I started to realize, you're doing a big study on mm-hmm. governments, local governments. One thing I started to realize is that the understanding of governance is extremely poor among politicians. They don't understand their role or the rules of governing. Oh. Uh, isn't that interesting? That is, yeah. And these are the people yeah. we're electing. And, of course, I don't blame them. You know, they come in there and they, they you know, they want to do things and they think they can get in there and do things and they get in there. It's like going to uh, uh, the provincial or federal government. You think you go there, you're going to change things. Well, what you do is you get here and here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. here's your paycheck. End, end of the mic, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, end of the mic. Yeah. So. Toe okay. the line. Uh, Toe the line, exactly. Uh, uh, by the way, for those that don't recognize the voice, Eric Allen, part of the uh, Friday panel quite often, and, and that'll be a lot of the discussion Friday morning uh, for about a half hour or so. We'll be talking about tonight's roundtable and uh, for perhaps focusing a little more on the mayor mayoral race that we're going to be hearing from those candidates shortly. Uh, quick takeaway on winners, losers from what you heard, uh, who stood out as uh, really positive who stood up out as being perhaps off the mark. Uh, Jeff, you first. Ooh, well, I I, I like... Um, there, there was a couple of, of candidates who... I, I'm not sure they know all the information out there. You, Eric, you right. were just saying, you know, they don't quite know the, the game of, of being a, a council councilman or councilwoman. Um so that that's a bit worrisome, right? Some some I think it was Jeffries maybe who said right. um, he wanted to uh, count on the homeless, right? There's a pit count every year. This mm-hmm. is done every year. It's it's public information, easy to find. Um, strange comment from someone who right. should probably know better, right? Um, you know the winners, I winners are, are tough. You know the the incumbents all played it really safe. We all want to work in collaboration. Yeah. We want to p- partner with the province. They got their their things down, right? And 
and and they all played it really safe. So I I don't think there's any winners there. Okay. Um, I, I like what Karen Muir had to say. She seems like a community builder, um, mm. someone who's who's got a bit more of a positive vision, maybe a more progressive looking vision. Um, James Steedle. Steidel, Steel, Steidel. So, sorry, James. <laughs> um, great, I loved loved what he had to say. Um, you know, perhaps some youth on on younger people on council, less business focus would be would be okay. Business mm-hmm. is important, but we've got a massive focus on on business right now. And I think from you could tell from the crowd, the people who were talking about business, there was a little bit of of uh, excitement about that. So, yeah, uh, Mike, I I was uh, impressed by the people that I'm going to vote are actually. Respect reflect the diversity. It's I'm, it's almost fifty fifty women to men. Oh yeah, and so I was impressed by by a lot of what the women said. Um, uh, Carm Manhas impressed me. Very um, uh, the one that's one th- the only person that talked about a study of the service providers and, right. and I I, wa- I look at all the the ten or fifteen different societies that operate programs downtown, yeah. and they all have a. $200,000 budget and they all have a $100,000 ED and a couple people on the street. <laughs> if, you, yeah. if you were to amalgamate all of them, and yeah. that's what I'm hoping is he meant by that study, you'd have one Find ED and a the, whole bunch of people on the boots on the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I would really like to see that kind of study. Hmm. There you go. And uh, Erica, we'll give you the uh, last word, uh, pros and cons of what you heard. Uh, let's let's start with the cons because I know you're that's your forte. <laughs> no, actually, uh, this time around, I'm I'm, I'm going to go down the middle. Okay. I'm trying, and I use the term loosely that I'm trying to going to try to uh, uh, elect a council that will do the least harm to the city and to the taxpayers. Yeah. Well, there you, you go. Know, because some of these guys, you give them that power to roll, they're going to roll, and yeah. it's going to cost us lots of money. Hmm. And, and we really, really need to tighten our belts and, and take some of this stuff serious. The other thing is we have to quit BSing so much. We BS way too much in this town. So I got this little deal here is the uh, Canada's fastest growing cities, population percentage, 2016 to 2021. Uh-huh. Kelowna, 14%, Chilliwack, 12%, Kamloops, 10%, Nanaimo, 10%. Prince George is nowhere near that. Well, what was the years again? Uh, 2016 to 2021. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So we're way down. Then the rest of them is Oshawa, Halifax, Guelph, and that. Mm-hmm. But I can't go anywhere in this town without people telling me this city's growing, this city's growing. I said, well, prove it to well, me. It does seem like it. Prove it to me. I'd, I'd like to yeah. see what is happening. Sure, we're building stuff. And the contractors love that, and so they should. People get jobs, and I like that. I think that's a good thing. But it's got to be balanced. So give you an example. we got $28 million. Okay, no, we don't have time for an example. Okay. We've run out of time, so we're going to take a quick break here, and then when we send it back out to the floor, we'll get to the mayoral candidates, and uh, that'll wrap up the evening. But as I say, you'll definitely want to tune in for the Friday morning after 9 program as we'll have the uh, the political panel Friday to talk a little bit more about uh, what they heard from the mayoral candidates. Do you like a good bluegrass song? Enjoying hearing music from the likes of Bill Monroe, Rhonda Vincent, and the Lakeside Ramblers? Then tune in to Back Porch Pickens Sunday evenings at 5 on 93.1 CFIS-FM for an hour of great bluegrass old and new. I'm Corey Walker, and I'm thrilled to take you on a musical journey each week as we explore the world of North American bluegrass. Catch Back Porch Pickens Sunday nights at 5, only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. 
The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing their online education, offering small group information workshops facilitated to provide opportunities for live discussion. Caregivers don't want to miss Recognizing Your Journey as a Caregiver, Thursday, October 20th from 6 to 7.30. To register, call the First Link Dementia Hotline at one 800 936 6033. Sessions are free to attend. Recognizing your journey as a caregiver Thursday, October 20th from 6 to 7.30 through alzbc.org. Forecast from Environment Canada. A few clouds tonight. Wind from the south at 20 and a low of 2. Thursday, mainly sunny. South winds continuing, a high of 17. For Thursday night, a few clouds. A south winds coming light near midnight and a low of 4. Each. What have we got to start? Three minutes? Three minutes. And we're back. Uh, we're, we're back live with uh, mayoral candidates here at 1299 Third Avenue in beautiful downtown Prince George. Thanks for listening. Uh, Rez Krebs here again, along with... Uh, Curtis Armstrong and Alan Wishart. Wishart. Uh, We've now got mayoral candidates up on on the hot seat, and we're going to give them each three minutes to introduce themselves. We'll start with Terry McConaughey, who's the first on the left. Good evening, everybody. My name is Terry McConaughey, and I'm working hard to earn your vote uh, to be your next mayor for the city of Prince George. My uh, vision for our city is a strong and diverse economy that provides opportunity and innovation for businesses, good jobs, and an envious, envious rather quality of life for all residents with a focus on senior citizens. I have been a resident of the city of Prince George for more than 40 years, uh, together with my husband, Kevin, uh, who I found in the halls of Kelly Road back in the 80s. We've been married for... It'll be 34 years uh, next month. We've, as I say, raised three amazing human beings, and we have since, um, our family has grown as we have welcomed sons-in-laws, and we have another grandchild due uh, December 15th on or about. Some of the things that I think that are important are um, is a focus on senior citizens. We have a lot of issues on deck, and they they have been very loud, and I feel that the issues that are being faced by senior citizens have have kind of taken a back seat. So um, I think it's it's very important to continue to work with them so that they can retire here, stay and thrive and continue to um, uh, contribute to our city. Another issue on deck is housing affordability. And that is very, uh, very concerning. More and more, as our housing costs go through the roof, as living costs go through the roof, less and less people can afford um, housing. So we can solve that with um, having diverse housing stock and moving um, applications uh, more quickly through our development services. Another thing we need is relationships built on trust and supported by open communication to find long-term solutions, long-term sustainable solutions, and capture the opportunities that are before us as a city. Finally, fiscal responsibility and earned public trust. I think this is something that we need to work on. I fully understand that as a taxpayer, you are trusting mayor and council with your PIN number to spend your money and to spend it wisely. Um, So I have some ideas with that. Um, I think in closing, we do have some formidable, formidable economic and social challenges ahead of us. We also have some incredible opportunities. 
And as your next mayor, I will bring my proven superior work ethic, my straight talk, my low BS tolerance, my compassion, my vision, and passion for the city of Prince George to work for you. My name is Terry McConaughey. Please vote for me as your next mayor for the city of Prince George. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. Uh, over to you, Lisa Mitchell, three minutes. If you can get the mic over there. Hello, my name is Lisa Mitchell. I'm a relatively new resident to Prince George, moving here in 2014 from Victoria. I absolutely fell in love with Prince George immediately upon arrival. I couldn't believe the generosity, the hospitality. I had to, I had to leave, go on vacation, and I had a dog that I had to get house sat at their house. And I found someone. Like, that's amazing. You would never find that in Victoria. So that was one of the things that just really warmed my heart to see how compassionate and how generous the citizens of Prince George were. And I truly believe can be again once we get our community back to the place where it was a few short years ago, before the, the homelessness issues, before the drug issues, the crime issues, and the, just the general poverty that seems to have taken hold in our city. We need to address it, and we need to address it by talking to, to people who are in the midst of these problems, talking to the people who have the situations, who have been in, the, in the, basically the trenches from the onset, the business owners and the people who are working with the outreach programs for the people in the, in the situations. But we need to do this collectively as a community, and we need to have an open-door policy, and we need to start listening to residents in other subdivisions who, you know, have similar issues but have, are dealing with it themselves and have had su some success. I was talking to one gentleman who he was, he was having people who were jumping his fence to sleep because they, they were too intoxicated to go to the shelter. So he put a tarp out and a heater, and then they got to know him, and then he offered them some work. And you know what? They worked. So if you treat some people with respect and we get that back going in our downtown with these people and, and not treat them like invisible human beings, we need to start addressing this and we need to start having the communications going. That's one of my pro the platforms I'm going for. I'm also going for the elderly as well. We need to look at how they're living. We need to start knocking on their doors and make sure that their conditions are livable. Um, we see too many, I see too many houses that with curtains drawn and no one's coming in or out. And we need to, we need to get that back, that human interaction back in our, in our subdivisions, in our community. And then we can address the other issues as they come along. And there's a lot of issues, but we need to start with one and just go from there. Thank you. I'm Lisa Mitchell, and I'm hoping to get your vote on October 15th. Thank you, Lisa. Up next, we have Roy Stewart. Thank you. Uh, my name is Roy Stewart. I'm a candidate for mayor of the city of Prince George. On October 15th, I'd ask you to vote for me. I bring to this office of mayor my experience, my knowledge, and leadership skills. I am a lawyer. I have acted for and against the city of Prince George in the past. As such, I know the boundaries of responsibilities and duties and powers of the city. I have a history of getting things done, which benefited the city. I led the Interior University Society, which brought the university. 
I led a group which got the new courthouse. I was part of the health committee whose work resulted in the teaching hospital residence program for medical professionals. I have a history of getting things done. I want to effectively deal with the homeless issue. To make dealing with the city a much better experience, I want to change our image as a city and to market the city everywhere to attract new business and citizens. I want to ensure that elected officials are accountable to the electorate and want the business of the city to be transparent. My experience and knowledge will be applied full-time to achieve each of these goals. In doing so, no one will be left behind. We will prosper and have a refreshing renewal as a city. For too long, we've lacked effective leadership at City Council. Security in the city needs to be addressed through policing and housing for the homeless needs to be addressed with uh, secure rooms with access to bathrooms. Next, since the city does not have jurisdiction over health issues, we need to ensure the province steps up to create a facility which can treat mental illness and addiction, the two drivers of the homeless issue. Treated people can be reintegrated into society. Economic development will be enhanced by policies which encourage investment and development. Our marketing will highlight the advantages of Prince George. We are at the crossroads of transportation, highways, hydro, and are surrounded by large land holdings which are capable of being connected to the world. We must encourage investment and make our city attractive to employees. My platform, if implemented, will bring this to fruition. Once again, I'm Roy Stewart, and I seek your approval by voting for me on October 15th. It's coming up pretty soon. Thank you. Thank you, Roy. Up next, we have Simon Yu. My name is Simon Yu. I humbly ask for your support. On Saturday, vote me as your next mayor. I came to this great city back in 1975. Since then, I built a beautiful family here. I have six beautiful children, successful children. I have eight grandchildren, and all live here. I'm a professional engineer by trade. I'm also a college instructor, and I also have experience as a municipal manager. I'm an innovator, I'm a problem solver, and most important, I'm a doer. The reason why I want to get this job as your mayor is because I came to this area with nothing, two suitcases and I wanted the opportunity to give back to my community. And my platform is pretty straightforward, four point. One, we need to improve accountability and transparency. How are we gonna do that? My, uh, if I be successful, I will create a youth council. I wanna get the young people involved in the city hall. They need to have all the access, the information that we have as a councillors. I want the young people to participate in, in the municipal policy as soon as possible. This will improve transparency. They are very savvy with internet. They will tell their parents what's going on and they will in turn bring the information back to the council. A youth council is a must. Second, I will work with all level government and most importantly with, with you, uh, the community whether it's right now you're homeless or whether it's a senior, to develop a generational plan. What does the generation plan look like? The development plan that actually I would like to see a physical model of Prince George be built in the, in the city hall. So all the citizens can see what is the next phase of development will come. We will visualize what's going to happen to your neighborhood, how we're going to 
improve it. And my priority is the east of Queensway. If we can solve the problem of the east of Queensway and turn that into a beautiful, vibrant community, most of our downtown problem will solved. Will be solved. And also, I, as an engineer, I know the most important things also is to concentrate on the infrastructure. Whether it's available now, we need to grow our population to utilize the infrastructure we have. And I do have experience to build homeless shelters. Um, I think we have some opportunity lies ahead of us. Uh, we only have 168 homeless people right now at this moment. That's my understanding. So to me, we should have the resources and the places to solve this problem in a short order. On Saturday, please vote Simon Yu for our mayor. Thank you very much. Thank you, Simon. Up next, we have Adam Hyatt. Hi, thank you. Thanks, everyone, for uh, coming tonight. Uh, my name is Adam Hyatt. Uh, I'm 38 years old. I'm born and raised here in Prince George. Um, I'm running for mayor because I'm very passionate about the city. Uh, I think it has some great potential. I think we can be an economic powerhouse. Um, but I also think it's been very poorly managed for several years. Um, uh, I'm running on a five-point platform. Uh, it's a pretty bold platform. It's a platform based on some big change. Uh, my five-point platform includes uh, reducing the burden of, of City Hall, cutting the fat, I say, at City Hall, streamlining processes, increasing efficiencies, cutting some of the red tape, um, identifying overlaps and duplications of work and consolidating those um, in order to lessen the burden on you, the taxpayer. And we have some massive tax increases coming. When we look at our debt and we look at how much it's growing, like another $3 million we agreed to pay for with debt of the pool and the rising interest rates to service that debt, um, we're staring down the barrel of some pretty massive tax increases, and um, I don't think the people of Prince George can afford it right now, so I, I think we need to find some creative solutions to lessen that burden. I think we need to really hold the senior executives in City Hall to account. Um, no one in the private sector would get away with $53 million of uh, budget overages without consequence. Um, and I think a lot of the things we need to do, infrastructure and stuff like that, are dependent on a, an accountable City Hall. You know, people talk to me about sidewalks, um, sewer, water. Imagine how much we could do if we had an extra $53 million. We could go sidewalks to the moon and back. Um, I have a four-point plan, I think, can work to clean up our downtown. It's comprehensive. We currently have a court injunction um, preventing basically any uh, police or bylaw action down there. And my plan, I believe, addresses that. Um, the four-point plan is to turn the empty Prince George Youth Custody Center into a world-class rehabilitation uh, for mental health and drugs. Um, I've received confirmation from the Ministry of Children and Families. There's an average of two inmates. It's a 60-bed facility. It has a separate uh, unit called the Bowerin House. It's a 12-bed facility. Um, and it uh, we have nowhere for women to go for treatment. So what a perfect spot, perhaps, that 12-bed uh, Bowerin House to start. Um, it also includes housing. Um, it costs a lot of money uh, to do nothing. Bylaw services, incarceration, police services, cleanup, etc. costs about $50,000 per head of a homeless person. It's about $30,000 to house them. Um, we need feet on the street, walking the beat, and I hope to close the gap with employment, which could be uh, provided by the city. I think we need to prioritize our policing, not increase, but prioritize for safe communities and get back to the basics of what a municipal government should be. And in my opinion, that's a lean, mean, and efficient infrastructure and service providing machine. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. 
Again, I'd like to thank everyone here for coming tonight, and uh, we're going to start off with questions that were provided by members of uh, the audience here today, uh, both Rez and I. Uh, so, Terry, we'll start with you, and as we go, we'll go this way, and then we'll go that way. But every candidate will have 90 seconds to answer each of our questions. Uh, so to start off, if elected, how will you address new builds and the overspending that has occurred with structures such as the parkade and the pool? How do you plan to hold contractors responsible and refuse to pay additional costs that exceed a million dollars? Good question. Thank you. Um, in the last couple of years, we have seen a record amount of private investment in the city, uh, record-breaking. And we have um, built more multifamily, commercial, industrial uh, construction than we've ever seen in our history. And we built a parkade. And we have got had cost overruns on projects. And big change was necessary, and big change started right then. And there were consequences. There were swift decisions that were made. There were um, positions that were uh, changed. There were policies that were implemented, and moving forward, uh, one of my goals is to reduce or take the model from the current finance and audit committee model uh, and move it to the committee of the whole. We, we've got some big challenges ahead of us. Coming out of COVID, every, every level of government and governments around the world are all grappling with issues. We're all dealing with infrastructure issues, and, and we have to prioritize. So it's going to require... All eight, plus the mayor, myself, on deck, all eyes on the spreadsheet, everybody meeting monthly so that everybody is informed. And when council arrives at the council table, that they have all of the information that they need to make sound decisions on your behalf. I'll refer back to your PIN number. I will not forget whose money we are spending and why. And, um, yes, we had issues. And I'm very proud to be there to be part of the solutions. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. Over to you, Lisa. Uh, the same question. Um, well, I don't know, uh, you know, about the, the cost overages. I can't really say on a municipal level because I've never sat on a municipal council. I can just speak as, you know, a homeowner that's had jobs and, and businesses that have had jobs done. Uh, basically, when someone comes and says, oh, sorry, that estimate was wrong, it's like too bad. Um, so for me, I'm a little, I'm a little confused as, as how these cost overruns, you know, happened in the first place, whether it was building, builders that were here doing jobs, not understanding what we needed in, in our city, and that led to, you know, um, stoppages on the, on the jobs. I don't know what caused them. All I know as a taxpayer that we were on the hook for, 22 million for this and 10 million for this and 8 million for this. So going forward, we have to be, we have to be more accountable. We have to be like a private company. When we go over, yes, someone's got to go. But we can't do that anymore. We don't have that luxury. So maybe we need to start looking at our buildings that are already here and start looking at, at fixing up some of our current structures and re, refurbishing them, reusing them for, for other things that the city needs as well. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. And over to you, Roy. Thank you. Uh, Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, our overruns occurred, in my opinion, because City Council delegated too much discretionary power to its senior staff who did not report what was going on. Um, this was a failure on the part of City Council of the day to delegate such powers and discretion without a reporting structure. In addition, there's evidence, in my opinion, of incompetence. 
uh, in many of these projects, and the incompetence lies with some of the city employees. Uh, we can't have that happening anymore. So we changed the policies of the city. We increased the supervisory role and the information provided regularly to city council. We have, in my view, the, uh, the responsibility to take care of that money. We need a person, when there's a large project, that is a project manager outside of the contract that reports directly to the city council. That project manager will spot the, the nonsense and bring it to city council's attention. City council generally are not experts in analyzing spreadsheets of construction projects. We need that assistance when we do it. We can stop this nonsense, I think, in that manner. Thanks. Thank you, Roy. Over to you, Simon. I think, first of all, I think the city forgot. This spend money is, as if there is not your money. As foremost, to make a cost constraint in terms of any construction project, we have to look the contract itself very, very carefully. We have to spend money like if I'm spending your money. We have to be ethical and the contract based on these two projects that you mentioned, I based on everything I know, is not correct. Um, too much, as Roy said, too much discretion powers given to the administration. The council didn't know what's going on, and they should know. And for me, if I'm become the mayor, the parquet, for example, right now we have 200 to 300 parquets built. Right now, it's underutilized. So based on the foundation system they put in there, we can definitely do the other two buildings, increase its capacity, increase its density to recover some of the money. The swim pool itself is beautiful, but it's the wrong design for the northern climate because I was called upon to solve some of the problem there as well. So good project requires a good design for our environment foremost. And if I'm your mayor, these kind of things won't happen. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. And finally, Adam, same question to you. Uh, yeah, so, you know, when I look at uh, some of the cost overruns, it's, you know, one of two things inevitably is happening. It's either the city is not including the full scope of work in the plans when they put them out to tender, and the contractor is coming across unforeseen obstacles. You know, oh, I didn't, you know, it wasn't in the plan. We're going to need this uh, beefed up footing or this engineered wall or whatever. So we have to make sure that we're including the full scope of the work in the plans and giving the contractor a fair shot um, at achieving uh, the budget and the timing. Um, we also need to uh, hold these uh, builders accountable. Um, and when they put in a bid, uh, just like, again, I, I referenced the private sector, but if someone quotes wrong, the company's stuck with it. Um, if, I've, you know, if I'm specking, I'm an occupational health and safety practitioner, if I'm specking a safety system out and I forget some cables in the quote, um, that's on me. I've got to eat that now. Um, so we need to hold people accountable and we need to make sure the full scope of work is included. Um, once upon a time as well, when buildings like uh, the CN Centre were built, there was an oversight committee, very small committee that met with a project manager every two weeks and got updates. Any issues, they could immediately notify the public and make some corrective action. I also think um, using local 
um, companies wherever possible. You know, someone who's going to be gone to Edmonton or Ontario tomorrow isn't super invested. Someone who lives in the community, companies who are local, have more of a vested interest, and they want, uh, they're not going to want their name in the paper for a $20 million uh, budget overage. So uh, I Thanks, think that Adam. would be how we achieve it. Thank That's time. Thanks, everyone. We're going to go to the next question. We're going to do the same format in 90 seconds, and we'll start with Adam on the end this time. How do candidates see the role of CNC and UNBC in creating a vibrant city? Well, I think they're great. Uh, I think we could utilize them greatly for attraction. Um, you know, Simon talks in his platform about growing the city um, and sharing some of the cost of the infrastructure upgrades. I think that's a smart idea. But how do you get people to come here? Well, people want a, uh, a city with a responsible city hall, with reasonable taxes, um, and, of course, with great educational opportunities. Um, so uh, I think that utilizing UNBC and CNC to attract uh, people and also uh, hopefully getting them involved, such as uh, in politics and elections and, and things of that nature. So um, I think they can be a great uh, asset to, to the city um, to attract people. I think we can utilize the people who attend those facilities and get them engaged in the community, such as uh, elections and other activities. Um, and that's how, I would, uh, that's how I would answer that question. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. Same question to do, Simon, you. Yeah, as, uh, as the teaching research service model of any university and, and college is uh, in, a, in a way transition to a knowledge community, human capital, innovation center, we have to realize without UMBC and CNC, we are not going to grow as a city. They are fundamentally important to the growth of city. Not only they have a lot of knowledge, professor there that we can tap on. The key is that, as Adam said, you know, nobody will, will come to university to bring their family here and then live here if there's no opportunity for their kids to attend university here. We, in the long term, Prince George would be a university town. As a mayor, I will work very, very closely with UMBC to promote the city together. I sat on the UMBC board for six years, so I know how important it is. And uh, the, the, com the community model, uh, we have to take a look at the teaching model now. We are trans, we have to be community based. We need to bring the university down to the Prince downtown as well. So this is, uh, I, I just believe this is so important that we will work with the UMBC and CNC to whatever decision we make at the city, we'll develop That's time. the Thank plan you, together. Thank you. Up next, we have Roy Stewart. Thank you. Uh, when the university was conceived by local people and it was achieved by local people, concerted effort, the people involved believe that the university represented the future of this city. This city, with CNC included, is an educational center. We can capitalize on that for the future of this city. It's a non-polluting, growing industry, and, and we can take that to the next level. I think the university, the college, and the city can promote and uh, transform the educational uh, center aspect of this city, we can become uh, much more 
uh, involved as a city with the attraction for students to attend the university and the college. We can become more involved with the university and college doing research on certain topics that are vital. For example, our homeless issue and other issues where we need the resources of expertise. This is a, an, in, an integrated system here. We can use the college and university to, to uh, make definite progress. Thank you. Thank you, Roy. Up next is Lisa Mitchell. Hello. Hello. Uh, I think we need to uh, get more communication again. I think communication is, is one of the biggest things we've been lacking in our community for a while. Um, we need to have the students in, of both establishments come down and like sort of meet, mingle with the citizens of Prince George because I think a lot of them are, are losing you know, what Prince George is about. And, and we need to get that, that feeling back so we can have, you know, a stronger community together. So, because people want to stay where it's fun. People want to stay where it's, where it has good community spirit. Uh, we have some great sporting events, but I think we, ha we need to do better for, for some teens, for getting some, some, some buildings for teens so they have some, some things to do, especially in the winter. Um, that would be something that, you know, we could look at, at, uh, tackling with, you know, the students at the, in the, um, trades programs where they could help out. So we need to, we need to start utilizing our, our young people and, and mingling them with, you know, all the diverse age groups so we have, we have a better community all the way around. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Up next we have Terry McConaughey. Uh, CNC and UAMBC have uh, just been a game changer in our city. Um, I, I bought a $5 membership to get that university uh, started. I'm dating myself, uh, Candidate Stewart. Um, UNBC, CNC, number one, they provide good-paying jobs. Uh, number two, they uh, provide um, an opportunity for families to attract professionals here to our city to fill other needs in our city um, so they want to move here. Um, they add to our workforce with training, of course, um, professionals, trades. Um, our Northern Medical Program has been incredible is unbelievable. What a great opportunity. Um, it's actually addressing the healthcare issues and shortages as we try to attract um, doctors to stay in the north. Um, so, and I think uh, they've been really good at that. Another thing is our university provides research on things that, um, that matter in our world. And uh, finally, uh, vibrancy and youth. They're consumers. They're consumers. They change the whole landscape of our city. They go to restaurants. They like a nightlife. Um, and they are also an amazing resource of um, volunteerism. In our city, I've seen it firsthand where students, that's how they try to get their work experience, is immersing themselves in our community. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. And if you want to hang on to the microphone, we will start with you again and go this way across the table. Uh, this one's a little long, so uh, bear with me. It was submitted by Alex Rowan. The relationship between food security, the local food system, and the health of the community is recognized in the City of Prince George official community plan of 
2012. Quote, food and agriculture play an important role in a sustainable community, improving the environment, the economy, the health of our population, and the community's well-being. Access to quality food, local food, is increasing in demand due to high costs and limited availability. Furthermore, the increasing costs associated with the cost of producing and shipping food can result in limitations to community access to food. The production and supply of local food can help provide security. The following three objectives of the OCP have been stated. To ensure residents have access to healthy food in the community. To support agricultural and food systems planning to improve the current state of food systems and to encourage local food self-reliance. Alliance. And third, ensure the food and agriculture spaces are accessible to all people. If you have been on council, what have you done to advance these objectives? If you are planning to be on council, what specifically do you plan to advance these objectives in the official plan? Thank you. Hello? Thank you very much for that question. Um, COVID, I think, really raised this issue of uh, food insecurity and just how vulnerable we are. That, In addition to that, the rising cost of food is so prohibitive. I don't know how young families are doing it, and I'm very mindful of the need to um, uh, offer some of uh, our food services closer to home. I think that the OCP revisit in 2023 is going to be one of the greatest opportunities that we've had to have this conversation in more than a decade. Um, as we talk about um, community gardens, um, as we work with different community groups, I'm all about, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We have so much wisdom uh, in our community. The everyone, everyone at the table group um, is a consortium of some of those great minds, and um, they have the answers, the creative um, ideas. And so as your mayor, it's my job to listen and consider and um, and then to mobilize my council team and staff to take action. And uh, that's what I always pledge to do as your mayor of uh, the uh, city of Prince George, Terry McConaughey. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. Over to you, Lisa. Uh, yes, that's, as Terry said, COVID and everything that's happened in the past two years has been a big wake-up call for a lot of people. And I believe that getting back to sustainability has to be us sustaining ourselves, um, a, a greenhouse, a city greenhouse that, you know, grows most of our, our produce and and vegetables for us to sustain. Start, you know, allowing people to have some chickens. Look at look at opening dairies again. Look at, you know, look at opening um, the the beef industry again up here because we need to start. We need, need to stop relying on these trucks coming up the, the highway because there may be a time when they don't, and that's not going to be an option. We have to be ready for it. We can't be we can't be waiting on the sidelines and hoping that it doesn't happen because it could happen in the next two months. We don't know, so we need to start looking at how we're going to sustain our city with our food and our heat and our and whatever else we need. So I think we need to uh, start looking at a program that really addresses how we're going to feed our own community first, and then we can look at a bigger picture. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Roy, same question. Um, it seems to me that food security is a long-term issue. Um, the world is changing. Supply chains are changing. Uh, we have to be aware that uh, as consumers, we may not be able to get uh, fresh, fresh food that's imported. So yes, we need to be building into our official community plan and our our considerations uh, the idea that we can uh, encourage production here of basic 
crops. I don't think here we can grow grapes, but we can certainly grow root crops, tubers, that sort of thing, and be sustainable there. Uh, people should uh, have neighborhood gardens. People should have the initiative to grow their own vegetables. We should encourage that sort of thing in the city. So I think it's important to take that into account when we do the official community plan review. Thank you. Thank you, Roy. Over to you, Simon. Thank you. I, I truly believe it takes the leadership work with the regional district to make sure that we have a goal. Within certain time period, we will supply most of our food supply for the city for the city of Prince George from 100 kilometer radius. Uh, this is an idea I, I learned from from one of my counselors uh, many years ago, and I, I think this is a very good idea in terms of uh, you know carbon footprints and in terms of security, the long term supply as we grow our population. Uh, where's our chicken farm goes? Uh, we used to have a large poultry farm here, and now it's no longer here. We chuck the stuff in. But what is the environmental impact? Uh, we, we need to take leadership to commit that we will supply some of the basic food supply to the citizens of Prince George from within 100 kilometer radius. If we can make the commitment and work with the regional district, I think we can we can do it. Actually, Prince George is the place we can do it. We do have the resources, the land, and uh, we just need to get the leadership to push the idea forward. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. And lastly, uh, Adam, same question. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one and a long one. Um, you know, I think first off, we have to protect agricultural land from development. Um, and so when that comes up uh, in city, there's oftentimes people are pushing for agricultural land to be developed. Um, I think it's important we protect that land. Um, I also think we have some great things right now, like um, farmers markets that we can uh, help support and promote, um, potentially give some indoor space for those in the winter. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's supply and demand, and people need to start demanding that uh, their their produce is local. Um, and if they start doing that and they start buying more local, then uh, some of the, the stores, even some of the big box ones, are going to meet that uh, demand with, with local supply. You know, we do have a bit of an issue here, though, where we have, um, you know, temperatures that don't allow us to grow vegetables and stuff like that outdoors in the winter. Um, so maybe some uh, creative um, webinars from the city on hydroponics, on growing inside your house. <clears throat> I'm supporting any of those efforts might be um, might be interesting. And, you know, one thing that concerns me, though, uh, about current council um, is, you know, we had some community gardens. There was one at the bottom of Upland Hill, and it was bulldozed. Um, and for no apparent reason. Uh, nothing changed. We didn't put anything there. There was community gardens. People were using them, and they got bulldozed down. And I, I wonder why council would allow that to happen and pay money for that to happen. So um, anyways, uh, that's how I would address it. Uh, and thank you very much. Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Adam. Uh, actually, hang on to that mic because you're up next for the for the next question. Never Many sit citizens, on the end. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Many citizens in Prince George feel that the city staff wags the dog. There's little accountability for staff. If elected mayor, how will you ensure city staff use evidence and community consultation to build their policy recommendations and follow the will of council? 
Well, I think the city in a lot of ways has lost its way. Um, the city has forgotten who are the masters, and it's supposed to be the people at large, and who are the public servants. And the word servant is very important. Um, and I think we need to remind people of that. I mean, even when I was talking to some um, develop uh, people in the construction industry, and when they're talking about building permits, they say not only is it a, a tedious process, but some of the arrogance um, that they get from some of the people they talk to at the city. So I think we need to, as a council, um, remind people that uh, we are the public servants and they're the masters. Um, I also think that as far as... Um, um, performance goes and, and, and being accountable to the people that, uh, for senior management, a performance based, uh, pay would be appropriate. Um, you know, you have a base salary, you have an opportunity for a quarterly bonus if you're performing. Of course, council would have to come up with what those key and, uh, key performance indicators are and measure them and weigh them. But, uh, I think that a performance based pay system, one of them could be accountability to the public, will, uh, will help them accountable and, um, I think right now what happens is you get paid a guaranteed salary no matter your performance, no matter your accountability to the public. Um, and I think that's your change. So I think um, that's how I would at least start to handle that problem. Thank you. Thanks, Adam. Simon, you, same question. I, I think, first of all, as a council, we really only have a one employee. That's the municipal manager. Um, if I'm elected as a mayor, I will definitely, first of all, you know, do a 360 Review with uh, with the manager on all the key staff, and uh, we want to have ethical behaviors throughout. Most importantly, as Adam said, we have to remember we are the servants of the people. We serve people. We have to treat everybody with uh, empathy, with uh, enthusiasm. Go to work every morning to do good. I don't believe anybody wake up in the morning to say, hey, I'm going to do best stuff. We need to find a way to energize the entire staff, take a look at their job description, and see if their job, what they're doing right now, match their skill set. They may need a little bit of upgrade here and there. And I believe with a positive encouragement, um, all the managers will work very well with the city council. We are the team. But foremost, we have to remember, as a city, we are the servants of the people. That is, a, we have to make sure we, we remember that. Go to morning, <laughs> work every morning. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. Rice Stewart, up next. Thank you. Um, my observation is that many of the regulatory bylaws delegate to a designated person, that is to say one of the employees' broad discretion to deal with uh, the matters that uh, people come to City Hall to look uh, uh, to get results for. And that broad discretion is not defined in a way where you could actually predict what the requirements are. I think every regulatory bylaw should have a specific, precise number of items that are required to be fulfilled before you get your permit. No surprises. Predictable. The designated person should not have unfettered discretion over the decision. There shouldn't be any wishy-washy, feel-good type statements about the authority of that designated person. He has a role to play, and that's tick the boxes, make sure every, every one of these requirements are done. The city staff needs, I think, to be reminded, as has been said, that they need a positive attitude. How can we help you do what you want to do, not how can we stop you from doing what you want to do? That will be infused under my 
uh, with my, my counsel. Thank you. Thank you, Roy. Lisa Mitchell. Yes, uh, as a as a taxpayer, as a citizen, I've I've sort of had the feeling as the the fox has been running the hen house for a bit, and with regards to how the city has been dealing with issues in in this on the streets. Um, you know, I live in an area not far from the the hood, and the streets are disgusting. Like there's no there's no road um, work being done on it. There's the culverts are filled with dirt. So on the one chance that it does rain, it's all full with with water. But we need to start getting money, getting value for our city employees. They they seem to be you know like one in a truck, one in a truck, one in a truck. What are they doing? You know, we need to we need to see some some value for our dollars, and and the way we're going to see that is by improvements all over the city, not just in certain areas, but everywhere. And it can't just be the ones that are you know government funded. We we can see all those. We want to see the ones that are city funded, and we want to see some improvements in in smaller neighborhoods that have been neglected for a very long time. So I think we need to to have an, an assessment of the city itself and and its needs. And the the more you know, we know that the where the bad parts are. It's in the hood. So you know, I know that people don't think that generates a lot of money, but it's still part of our city and it's still part of our image. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. Terry McConaughey, same question. Thank you. Um, you know what? Really great people work for the city of Prince George at all levels. And we've just come through some really tough times during COVID, and our employees were there for us and for our city, and it was not easy. Uh, people that work, uh, they need the training, the tools, uh, the opportunity to pro- provide their input, and the technology, the capacity that they require to do their jobs and do it well. Um, the relationship between the mayor and the CAO is, is a crucial one. Uh, the relationship then between mayor and council is just as important. Um, in the end, if mayor and council are not exercising their oversight over staff, then that's on them because ultimately the buck stops here. Thank you, Terry. And you can pick that microphone right back up. <laughs> I kind of thought that was going to yeah, happen. Okay, we're just going back and forth. Here. See, right. It doesn't take long to train yeah, <laughs> folks on here on the ends. Thank okay. you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, should the city continue their staff vaccine mandate? Why or why not? I do support the city vaccine uh, mandate. I have. Um, I think that the world is a much better place with vaccines. As a Rotarian, we have spent, uh, Rotarians have been working hard to eradicate polio off the face of the earth. And now that we see that there is a state of emergency around the world as it comes back, um, I I believe that our foremothers, our forefathers, would be filled with gratitude that they, with the um, all the childhood inoculations that we have all received, that is that has allowed us to live past the age of five. Uh, in addition to that, I'll just bring in a personal thing. Um, I went through cancer treatment during COVID, and the cancer that I had is now treatable with a vaccine. Cervical cancer will be eradicated off the face of the earth because of a vaccine, and. So so I have to support science, I have to support healthcare, and I have to support public health and, um, and, and looking at the global population as a whole to keep us all safe and healthy. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. Uh, Lisa Mitchell, same question. Uh, thank you. Yeah, this is a hot topic. Uh, for myself, I do not believe the vaccine mandate should be kept in the city. 
I think that's that we have other municipalities, we have other cities that are dropping it, we have other corporations that are dropping it. It's past its time. Um, as for the vaccine itself, I totally disagree with what my colleague just said, but that's another issue we can deal with at another time. We're dealing with our city right now, and I think we should drop the vaccine mandates and we should rehire anyone who is on leave right now, and they should be reinstated with their job. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Roy Stewart, same question. Thank you. Um, I have no sympathy for people who doubt the efficacy of vaccines and their use in this city. I have a belief in the uh, wonders of science and the ability of vaccines to cure, prevent, disease. If you go into a workplace during a COVID epidemic unvaccinated, you are endangering the lives of people around you. You have no right to do that. So take the heat, sweetheart. You're just going to have to work in an environment where the the vaccine mandate is, is applied. I have absolutely no sympathy for people who reject that premise. What would I ask? There was a chap asking me, he's a religious fellow, about this. I said, well, think about it. What would Jesus do? Jesus said, love your neighbor. Are you loving your neighbor when you're endangering their health? He would be vaccinated. Thank you. Thank you. Simon? Yeah, first of all, I'm I'm fully vaccinated. um, But knowing the signs, um, as I know what I'm today, uh, your question is, uh, would I implement vaccine mandate uh, if I become a mayor? Uh, the answer Specifically, is no. Simon, the question is, should the city continue their vaccine yeah, mandate? No, they should not. The reason is because there is no evidence in front of me that continue this practice will improve any situation. Take a look at us. We Nobody's wearing masks right now. So if I become mayor, I would not continue this uh, vaccine mandate because uh, there is just no evidence right now. All the federal, provincial government, they are opening up all the travel right now. So what's the point here? We, we punish somebody having not vaccinated, and I'm not going to go there. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. And lastly, Adam Hyatt. Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, I'll just answer this really straightforward. No, I do not uh, support COVID vaccine mandates, uh, especially at the city of Prince George. Um, you know, there's a few reasons for this. Um, you know, when we take the tribalism and the politics out of it, you know, the science has boiled it down now. We have hindsight on our side, and it doesn't prevent transmission, and it doesn't prevent infection. So uh, to Roy, you know, to respectfully uh, rebut Roy's uh, comment, you're not protecting anyone except for potentially yourself for having slightly milder symptoms. That's what it's boiled down to. Um, I'd also say that uh, forced, uh, forced vaccine mandates is, uh, is a scary uh, road to travel. Um, I appreciate Terry's comment, uh, but are we going to pin uh, every woman down now or prevent them from working because they don't have a cancer, um, uh, you know, the, the, the um, vaccine that Terry speaks about? I don't think that's uh, right. I think people should have that choice. Um, and it doesn't, pr- doesn't protect anyone except for potentially yourself. It should be a personal choice. Uh, I don't support it. I would table a motion to uh, to have that removed and uh, immediately work on a plan to reinstate uh, city employees. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. 
Thanks, Adam. Pick that mic back up again. <laughs> little bookend, yeah. Next question is, how will candidates approach reconciliation-based budgeting? Well, um, budget is something that I'm very cautious about because um, there's been so many blown uh, in the past. Of course, those are more on, on, on construction projects. Um, so we have to be very careful how we use our money. Um, I think really t- important things, uh, you know, I'm still learning, to be quite honest, uh, what reconciliation means. Uh, I went to uh, the park on Reconciliation Day, learned a lot there. Um, and listening to one of the elders speak, you know, one of the big things that really helped him and he thinks is uh, the way to move forward is education. Um, so I, I, I tend to agree with that. I think I would support uh, budgeting for education. Um, uh, any educational programs that we can do as a city, I would support that. Um, and also remembrance. Um, you know, those who uh, fail to remember history are bound to repeat it. Um, so uh, as far as the budget goes, I mean, we're on a bit of a shoestring budget, but anything that would support education and remembrance, uh, I would like, uh, you know, I would definitely uh, consider that for, for budgeting purposes and uh, hopefully see some uh, positive results. Thank you. Yeah, I was our support to have some budget set aside to have an education program for the city staff in terms of uh, understanding the truth and reconciliation. Um, but we don't have a governance model right now. That's uh, we do a city budget. We have to allocate certain amount of money for certain things. Um, so I'm not quite sure. The question is. Um, the budget used for reconciliation, and including but, reconciliation in line items in the budget of the city. Yeah, but so, but I said for education, yes. Um, for direct expenses uh, in 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 terms of programming, I will have to know what what that is. And uh, right now, uh, there is no in, nothing in front of me to say we have to do certain things and not doing certain things. But I will certainly make the, all the budget transparent to to everybody, including the linear technique. Um, people live around here to know where where we are spending the money, how these spending, uh, you know, it might affecting them uh, in terms of uh, their reconciliation, reconciliation program. So that's where I, my approach is. I, I need a better understanding how the governance model will, will, will means that we have to set aside money for that for that program. Thank you. Thanks, Simon. Roy. Um, I believe that we, as the city, will have obligations when the United Nations Declaration of Indigenous Rights of Indigenous People is implemented. The government of British Columbia, local governments, and First Nations have been hammering out the means and methods of truth and reconciliation being brought into our, our culture. There will be budget items arising from that, and that's probably going to be released in 2023. I agree with other candidates here that there's an educational component to this. Uh, Our staff at the city should be uh, brought into an educational uh, format where uh, for perhaps uh, two or three hours or five hours, depending upon the model, they are educated about our uh, colonial history and our relationships with uh, indigenous people and how their lives and, and uh, relationships have been affected by our, our past practices. We need to, in effect, educate our staff more about how they can deal more effectively with indigenous people. 
So, so we have some budget implications coming, and we have an educational component that needs to be carried out. Thank you. Thanks, Roy. Lisa Mitchell. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is again another another big subject of you know when it's everybody's money. It is a big subject. Um, again, we can't really discuss something that we have no information in front of us. We can't make suppositions of of what it will be, how much will we get, who's going to give it to us, what we're going to use it for. There's there's just too many variables that that fall into that category. Um, that being said, you know. If we did get money, yes, I think education is is first and foremost. But we also need to to look at you know like what are we what are we educating them on? Are we educating them to just live in the past? Are we educating them to move forward and to to better themselves? You know through the healing. And so I think that's what we have to we have to sort of th- look at what we're going to be using the money for. Thanks. Thanks, Lisa. Terry McConaughey. Um, one of the highlights of my first term on city council um, was the renaming of Fort George Park to the current Clayton Memorial Park, where I felt that we were um, we were at at last recognizing the the history of of that land. Um, this term we renamed um, O'Grady to Doculty, and currently, just recently, a plaque sits in a place of honor. Um, recognizing that in City Hall, rather, that um, we do indeed um, live and enjoy the benefits of the unceded and ancestral territories of the Clayton Tene people. Um, should should you hire me as your uh, next mayor, one of the first, one of the earliest phone calls that I will make will be to Chief Logan and ask to meet with her and um, her uh, council and the elders um, to discuss what what does it look like to them moving forward, um, and then taking that information uh, to council. So I think it's important to work with with our indigenous, uh, work with our partners, and see what it means to them, and then uh, follow accordingly. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. Ah, there you go. <laughs> okay, I this- was just psyching you. <laughs> it worked. Um, all right. Uh, this one was submitted as well, too. Uh, would you be willing to leave your home, phone, wallet, dress down, and spend 24 hours walking around the streets of downtown Prince George to try to get a better understanding of the homeless uh, situation? You know what? I Yes. Yes, I would. I, I would welcome that opportunity. Um, I know other counselors have done it in the very past, but um, yes, short answer. Thank you. Thank you. We, we we are on live radio, so Sir? Ha- yeah, we're, we're Sir? just gonna have to Thank go to the next uh, yeah. the next question. Yeah, Lisa. Uh, yeah, and, sorry. Uh, well, I, I guess he has a valid point. You know, we can all walk the walk, but do we talk the talk? You know, I've I've gone down to Moccasin Flats. I've gone down to First Avenue, and yes, I've I've spent a total of a cumulative, you know, six hours down there. So, no, I can't say what it would be like to, to spend 24 hours, but I would be willing to do it. Um, I, I guess I'd have to have a tent. I don't, I don't know. You know, we are fully welcoming anybody. Okay. I, I don't live on the street. 
We, we are having a one-sided conversation since okay. we can only hear people on the microphone. So, so we're, we're having a conversation with a fellow who is very, very passionate about us being on the street for 24 hours. So, yes, I, I would challenge any Merrick's candidate to, to do that. I don't know. Does it have to be before the race or after? We, we only have two more days. Okay, you're on. I'm, I'm up for a challenge. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Okay, uh, Thank you, sir. Do I, do I get an opportunity or, or do we just open this up to the conversation? Look, I live and work down here in town, right here. I'm right across from the courthouse, right across from 3rd and George. I live and breathe and whatever else you want to say about this problem, homelessness. It's right here where I work. I see it every day. I go out, I hear the screams. I hear the fights. I see the total damage people have had to them out there on the streets. I, every day I see that. I don't have to come down and bunk in with you. I know what's happening down here. I live here. Uh, well, guess what? All right, so I, I'm going to continue my answer. Please do uh, I, continue. I, I don't have to come downtown and sleep in a tent with you. I know what's happening down here. And I have a plan in my platform to deal with the homeless issue. And it, and it will be done if I'm elected mayor. Thank you. Thank you. Simon? Gray Cook doesn't have to drink a whole pot of soup to know what it tastes like. I don't have to spend 24 hours nonstop here to understand the problem. But accumulatively, have I spent more than 24 hours to understand your issue, the problem? Yes. I have walked every part of this downtown for the last six, eight years. I've done that. I've seen the problem getting worse. I have solutions for homeless part. I don't have all the answers for mental illness, drug addiction. I know it's a very complex economic social problem. But as your mayor, I promise you, I will get things done. I will bring you shelters. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. Finally, Adam. Uh, yeah, you know, the answer is yes. Yes, I would. Um, flat out. Um, you know, <laughs> I guess I could throw a little humor on that and say as a teenager, that was about my every Friday night. But, um, you know, that's just obviously not uh, not to make a joke. But, um, yeah, my answer is yes. Yes, I would. Uh, if I didn't have to work tomorrow, I, I'd even offer uh, to start right now. Unfortunately, I do. But, um, yeah, I would. Absolutely. Thank you, Adam. And thanks for the question. I just want to make sure everyone understands if you're listening at home, there was some conversation in the in the auditorium that wasn't picked up by microphones. Uh, so we have, I believe we have one last question. Um, this is going to start again with you, Adam. How will candidates make good on the city of Prince George's apology following the illegal destruction of property in Moccasin Flats on November 17th, 2021? You know, I don't know if they can um, the reality is, um, you know, they made a terrible decision. Uh, they went against the court order. 
Um, and they cost, uh, you know, they cost Indigenous people, the very ones that they say they're so concerned about, uh, losing uh, ancestral items that uh, they'll never get back. Um, so quite frankly, um, I don't think they can make it up. Um, I think it was a terrible decision. It was a terrible thing to do. Um, I think as, as your next mayor, um, I can make sure uh, that that doesn't happen again, but that's the best I can do. Um, so I, I don't think there's anything you can do to make that right. Um, it wasn't the right thing to do then. It's not the right thing to do now. So um, uh, I'm not sure there's anything you can do to make that right at this point. Thank you. Simon, you? I, I would make this as a real university case study um, to find a way to truly understand the cause. And, I, of course, I would like to bury the, this very unpleasant chapter in the history of the Prince George. Um, but apology without compensation is really no apology. So my, my way of thinking is that if I become a mayor, I will build shelters. That's the best way that I know to apologize to a people that they, that's what they need. They need shelters. So action speaks louder than words. So no more meetings. Just get things done. That's how to approach it. Thank you. Thank you, Simon. Roy Stewart? Yeah, I agree. I think the thing to do here is to provide shelters. Secure places for the so-called homeless to, to sleep and have a place that they can secure so they're not preyed upon by anyone around them. That is the only way we can effectively apologize for the, the stupidity of the city's decision. Um, money, that's not going to work. I think it's the the secure housing that's going to work. Um, and, of course, to realize that such an idiotic decision will never happen under a regime with me as mayor. Thank you. Thank you, Roy. Lisa Mitchell. Um, yes, I, I agree with uh, Adam on this. There's, there's no... There's no way you can apologize. That door's been closed, unfortunately. Um, you can't get things back when they're gone. Uh, moving forward, I, I believe we have to, you know, start getting the, you know, getting that situation under control. And we also, we have to think about what that, you know, what that represents. You know that was that was a very bad chapter in the in the history of PG, and it's and it's a, a glaring eyesore for everyone to see. Anyone who goes down that way every day, and so I need to. Let's uh, uh, just keep, okay. um, keep speaking, Lisa. Well, yes, for burnt out garbage and litter all over the place. That's not really my art work that I'm like that I find really pleasing. So I think we need to move forward. We need to. Uh, clean that place up after we find affordable housing and, and move along and then learn from that. We can't do that again. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Terry McConaughey. That was a, a, a horrific day um, for the people who live there. And it absolutely was illegal destruction of personal property. Uh, and council banded together and um, issued a public apology um, with a... Um, with a pledge to do better moving forward. And that includes um, not 
promising to build shelters on the municipal dime. We need to work with um, senior levels of government to build them homes. Housing first is our first place to start, um, all the way from low barrier to supportive. And that work has started um, with the First Avenue, but there's still so much work to do. So when you're asking me how do you come back from that, you can't. It's impossible. All we could do is apologize and do better to move forward. And I think that's what we have pledged to do. That's what I pledged to do. Um, and um, as your mayor, I realize how important it is. Um, public safety is our purview of mayor and council. And um, so we need safe and clean streets and opportunity um, for everybody in our city, regardless of, their, um, of how much they earn. Thank you. Thank you, Terry. That rounds out our questions for the mayoral candidates. I'd like to thank you for coming in. I'd like to thank the council candidates who came in. I'd also like to thank Alan Wishart for keeping time, Curtis Armstrong for co-moderating with me, Marika Sachs for running the live stream, Ian Gregg for running the board from CFUR, Reg Fair and the panel in between, uh, Echo Wiley, Tanya Salonis, and all the other volunteers that I have, don't have their names who helped set this place up and bring this together. Uh, and of course, the live audience here at 1299 3rd Avenue and everyone listening at home. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Municipal Election All Candidates Forum live on 93.1 CFIS-FM and CFER 88.7, a presentation of the Prince George Community Radio Society, CFER 88.7, and your Prince George citizen. Due to the length of the preceding broadcast, we now join our regularly scheduled programming already in progress trip there in Chilliwack for the showcase and then uh, we continue on from that uh, road trip into Vernon as well so we got uh, our five of our next games on the road and uh, it's going to be a good test for us to see where we're at so starting the season at home must have been kind of nice incorporating basically from what you were saying half the team is new players so it must have been kind of nice having everybody at home where you weren't on the road all the time they can get to know each other you can have your practices get everybody into the system yeah I think there's there's pros and cons I think you know being on the road first weekend of the season we were able to you know when you're on the road you're a little little more together as a team uh, you know the guys that uh, you know aren't used to traveling like we are the new guys were able to get a, a good road trip under their belt and see how what it's like uh, and then we were able to come home for a couple weeks, and that's where we were able to focus more on our team play uh, in terms of practices. So, I think, yeah, I think there's uh, benefits to being on the road, and I think there's obviously benefits to being in your own bed. Uh, it's all part of it, finding the balance uh, as the season goes on. Did you have any of your new players go, wait a minute, your closest opponent is how far away? <laughs> I think everyone knows that before they take it, they get to Prince George, and um, you know when we recruit and acquire players as an organization, we're, you know we're targeting guys that you know fit the identity of our team and um, you know fit fit like an opportunity. Um, you know if if, uh, if you're probably looking to not travel, um, you know what maybe this the program or maybe hockey's not for you. I think everybody's going to travel and sport at any level, um, but I think the way we travel, we do the best we can for our kids. So um, yeah, I think everyone knows it's part of it, and we just got to get used to it. So six games into the season, is the team looking like it's going to be more? 
offense-based, defense-based? How, how are things shaking out that way right now? It's hard to tell. We've only played uh, six games. I think, you know, we've had, um, you know, prior to our last game against Merritt, we only scored four or five on five goals in our first five games. Uh, our specialty teams were uh, picking up, I guess, more of the slack and the power play. Um, we always want to score more. I think we got to be, a, I think our group's got to be a blend of both. Uh, we got to be able to play a good, good game in our defensive zone, but also be able to create offense from it. So uh, that's what we're striving towards. Now, in the game on September 30th, Truth and Records Asian Night, were you sort of looking at the guys going out on the ice and going, man, I wish I could wear one of those jerseys? Yeah, that was, that was an awesome uh, awesome night to be a part of. I think sport uh, you know, creates great opportunity, uh, not just for athletics, but for, in this instance, um, you know, honoring change and, uh, you know, A, the, the design of the jerseys, Clayton, was fantastic. And, uh, you know, we were just proud to, to partner with the Indigenous community in Prince George and, and have them support us. And it was a great night. And, uh, you know, winning that game, uh, you know, was even made it, made it better. Now, as far as you know, are you the only team in the BCHL that's going to technically play two home games not in your own arena? You've got the one at the showcase, and then you've got the one on the BCHL road trip in February. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I think, um, you know, for us, when we get to go to Burns Lake, um, you know, I think it's it's a great opportunity for our kids to, you know, impact their community positively. That means have, having us play one less home game, so be it. I think it'll be, you know, uh, great for us to go there. And, and, you know, we are the team of the north, and, and when there are games uh, up here outside our community, uh, I think it's important that we're a part of it. And, um, you know, we did a practice there a few weeks ago and uh, went really well. The community is super welcoming. Uh, we look forward to going back. There you go. Alex Even, Prince George Bruce King's head coach. And yeah, five and one already. This yeah, great season. start. Yes. Uh, they beat Coquitlam three nothing, uh, then Langley three two. Both those games on the road. Yeah. Then they came home for four straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, beat and here's here's the one that I mm-hmm. you know the the one that the chink in the armor, if you will, uh, beating Vernon four two and then losing to Vernon five one. Those back to back games, yes, which is always so so hard to. But the the plus side of that is this past weekend. It was two different teams. Yes. And so they beat Vernon, or Victoria rather, by a score of 3-1, and then uh, followed it up with a 6-4 win over Merritt. Uh, so I think that's helping to prove my theory that back-to-back games against the same yeah. team is not good for putting on long uh, win streaks. No, and I, I hadn't really thought about it before, but when I was just noting down the scores in this past weekend, I was thinking that's actually a decent little road trip, if you will, going from Victoria to Merritt. And playing the next night. No, this no. was at home. This past weekend? Oh, that's yes. right. Yes. Okay. That's right. They're on the road <laughs> this weekend. Now, that being said, it was a, a heck of a road trip for Victoria. Oh. Uh, be, or, yeah, Victoria, I think, actually played in Merritt on Thursday and Oops. then came up for the Friday game. Yeah. 
And then Merritt had played at home and then came up. So, yeah, there was a bit of travel involved for uh, teams that aren't used to that kind of of a stretch. So that was kind of good. Yeah. And uh, as Alex was saying, a a bit of a road swing, if you will, coming up this next week or so. They're in Vernon on Friday, Salmon Arm on Saturday. And then the BCHL showcase is in Chilliwack, as usual. Yeah. Wednesday, the Spruce Kings have a home game with Coquitlam. Afternoon. 2.30 in the afternoon start. And Thursday, they play Surrey. Uh, 4 o'clock start. Their next home game actually isn't until October 28th. And we see our visitors to the far south. Wenatchee. Yeah, Wenatchee in town for a pair of games, the 28th and the 29th. Uh, In the standings, uh, Spruce Kings... Obviously close to the top. Yes. Second overall in the interior conference. Um, just, uh, five and one, uh, Penticton, mm-hmm. six and zero so yes. far in the season. And the, the Spruce Kings don't, uh, face Penticton till November the 4th. Wow. When, uh, they will be down at the, uh, South Okanagan Events Center okay. on a road game there. So we'll see that'll what's happen between now and then. Yeah, yeah, wow. that should be an interesting one, uh, if they continue, if both teams continue the way they're, they are right now. Okay, well, I think it's just about time for us to take another break, and we'll come back with more on Post to Post after this. Gain the skills to track and manage data with Microsoft Excel Essentials for the Workplace. This course from CNC will provide you with the knowledge and understanding of basic Excel functions. Through hands-on learning, you will discover how to create and save files, navigate menu and toolbar items, manipulate various components of a spreadsheet, and automate data using formulas. Full details are available through continuing education at CNC. Excel Essentials for the Workplace, October 25th and 27th. Registration deadline is October 17th. The BC Chamber of Commerce is hosting the 2022 Small Business Week Summit, October 17th to 21st. Companies preparing to thrive in the post-pandemic business landscape are encouraged to attend to hear from experts with cutting-edge research and insights on the most important issues facing employers today. Registration and full details are available through the events page at bcchamber.org. The BC Chamber of Commerce 2022 Small Business Week Summit, October 17th to 21st, online. Okay, so now we can do some Timberwolves uh, okay. soccer, yeah, or Tim- Timberwolves in general, yes. because actually I've heard that uh, the women basketball women's basketball team has been out doing some exhibition play. Oh, okay. and I believe they're uh, far afield in Waterloo this weekend. Wow, Ontario. That's a that's a road trip. Yeah, yeah. So uh, by, this is the last weekend, though, for them scurrying around the country getting some yeah. uh, pre uh, preseason yeah, action then they'll be back home to get geared up weeks Something yeah like the that. end of october yeah. here they'll be uh, lacing it up for uh, for real yes on the hardwood up at UNBC or elsewhere around the western canadian yes. uh, canada west conference Again, the thing is um, they will probably be i haven't looked at their full schedule there's a good chance they will be traveling or Either they'll be traveling to Manitoba or the Manitoba teams will be traveling here again this year. Yeah, again, they'll do uh, interconference type stuff that hasn't been done over the last few years. So that'll be nice. Yes. Very nice to see. But uh, UNBC soccer, of course, on the field. 
Well, the women were this past weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Men had the weekend off. Yeah. And they're kind of disappointing, I think, because they're on a bit of a roll. Yes. Uh, doing extremely well. well. Yes. And then to have that weekend off, it just sort of, you know, yeah. kind of takes the wind out of your sails. Hopefully they'll be uh, up for uh, their matches, though, at home this weekend. Yeah. Uh, noon on Saturday at uh, Massage Place. And then Sunday at uh, noon as well. Yep. So noon starts both Saturday and Sunday against UBC Okanagan. Yes. The men are 6-4-2. and two. And again... The men's soccer, for whatever reason, they list them, they rank them by percentages. Mm -hmm. So the UNBC men's team is 5.56 percentage. Yeah. Which is good for third place right now in the Pacific Division. The top four make the playoffs. UBCO is 4.4-3, so they're at 4.55. Um, and then next weekend is the final week of the regular season for the men, and they are on the road in Fraser Valley. And then the playoffs, I believe, start the following weekend. The top four, as I say, make the playoffs. So, Right. Yeah. On the women's side, they had another good weekend. They, yes. Yeah. Um, they beat Calgary 2-1 to one on Friday. Paige Payne and Claire Turner got the goals. And then they tied at nil on Saturday. I believe Calgary, uh, I'm trying to think who it was they played the week before, because that was a team that was in the top ten in the Canadian League. Well, Calgary's one of the top-ranked yes. teams, yeah. I think, in Canada. Well, yeah, this, this was, I think, the second week in a row so that they played a top ten team. Big upset. Yes. Well, the, the previous weekend, it was Trinity Western right. that uh, UNBC played. Yeah. So, yeah, back-to-back weekends oh. against... Uh, top 10 ranked teams. Yeah, and I think they came over with a win and a tie each weekend. Uh, well, no, because no. Uh, the, uh, the previous weekend they were down in the Fraser Valley, played the University of Fraser Valley on the Friday, right. which was the 2 nothing win, right. and then uh, managed the draw against Trinity Western on Saturday. Right. And uh, Trinity Western uh, second in the division, mm-hmm. in the Pacific division at 9-1 and 2. Yes. Uh, UBC is 11 and 1. Yeah. And Calgary, uh, even though they, uh, were touted as being a top 10 team, only looking at a record of 6-4 and 2 right now. So. Yeah. The, uh, T-Wolves men, women's team is 4-5 and 3 for 15 points. Yeah, and that puts them in fifth place. Thompson Rivers at five, five, and two, mm-hmm. just ahead of them, and Victoria. Well, Victoria basically tied with them at uh, four, uh, four, five, and three. Yes. And uh, who, who are they playing? Did I say this coming weekend? Yeah, they are at home to Thompson Rivers on Friday. Oh, okay. Night. Yes. And so that'll be uh, a battle for fourth place then because they're right behind them, two points back. And the way it works in the women's division, because there are different numbers of teams, the top five teams make the playoffs, but five and four play a play-in game. Mm -hmm. So the only difference between finishing fourth and fifth is whether you've got that game at home, which, of course, is an advantage. Right. So game uh, game times for women's soccer Saturday. Uh, let's see what we got here. Uh, no, no, it's Sunday. Yes, Sunday yeah. is the second game. Yeah. Sunday two fifteen. Yeah, and that game is against UBC Okanagan. Yeah, yeah. 
So, uh, th- yeah, it's important for them to yes. uh, key stay ahead, I guess. Hey? Well, that's the thing is the Friday game is, to some extent, the more important game. Yes. That's the team you're fighting for a playoff spot with. And, 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 and yeah, it's a 6 o'clock start Friday. Yeah. Uh, again, both games at Massage Place. Yeah. But what you don't want to do is sort of, and again, it's not like playing back-to-back. No. But you don't want to knock off TRU and be going, yes, and, and then, then turn around to, and lose to yeah. UCO. Yeah, you got to be careful not yeah. to let the underdog up. Yes, and this is the final weekend in the regular and, season. Uh, UBCO is only three points back. I know. Of U- UNBC. Yes. So, yeah, you just uh, you can't let the foot off the gas, to no. say the least. No. you got to... I think two wins, they're in the playoffs. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. Because that would get them to 21 points. And, uh, yeah, but uh, you don't want to, as you say, you don't want to take your foot off the pedal at all this weekend. No. No. But the big game is the Friday night game. You win that one, and you're in good shape. good shape, yeah. And then the coach gives you a stern talking to on Saturday, telling you you still got a game to play. And then you go to the game on Sunday. In both games at home, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know, I have not heard anything about whether they're doing a um, seniors recognition at one of the games this weekend. Because this is quite this is quite possibly their last home game. Yeah. So I haven't heard anything, but probably will. Yes. Yeah, and that's that again is the problem with the different numbers of teams in men's and women's soccer is with the basketball they can recognize the seniors on both teams at the same time because they're always playing together right yeah, yeah they're always yeah, yeah. on this uh, yeah they're playing yeah. identical schedules yes but with the soccer it's just all over the place mm-hmm but uh, no, so both. Uh, but the men would also do a, a senior recognition. I would think so. Yes. Right? Um, yeah. Actually, they would have the chance to. I yeah, would that suspect, would be Sunday again. I would suspect they would do it on Sunday because they're playing the same both team. teams. Yeah. yeah. One, the men at noon and the women at two fifteen. Yeah. So, so both both will be there. Yeah. Everyone will be there. They'll be able to do the big. Yeah. And that is also for everyone. the men's last regular season home game as well, because it's they're on the road to yeah. Fraser Valley for the final weekend of the season. Yeah, it'll be uh, great if they oh. both are in the playoffs. Yes, get a little bit of extra, keep us hopping, extra time, and yeah. uh, move on up in this. Uh, and maybe next uh, next year, right. okay. Maybe next year we'll get a little more respect in the whole uh, uh, coaches' rankings at the yes. beginning of the yes. season. They always seem to rank uh, UNBC, you know, yeah. round the last three of the, yeah. and that's ranking the whole, not just the east. Yeah, I know it's the seventh, yeah, it's not just the west, but no, the full, the Prairie yeah. and Pacific. Yeah, so it's it's yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed that'll yes. that'll be the end result. We'll get a little more respect from the other, other coaches. Yes. Okay, on that note, I guess we will go to a break. We'll be back with some more Post to Post on 93.1 CFIS FM. The end of the week is time for well-earned relaxation and play. Join Two Rivers Gallery on select Friday evenings each month to enjoy the freedom of artistic expression, a fun atmosphere, and a complimentary refreshment. Open to adults with any level of art experience. Registration for the next Friday Art Disco is available through the Adult Programs link at tourersgallery.ca. Friday Art Disco, 
new at Tours Gallery, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. Forecast from Environment Canada. A few clouds overnight. Wind from the south at 20 and a low of 2. For Thursday, mainly sunny. South winds continuing, a high of 17. A few clouds Thursday night. South winds becoming light near midnight and a low of 4. All right, back with Post to Post yes. on 93.1 CFIS-FM. We've covered WHL hockey, yep. BCHL hockey, yep. UNBC Timberwolves soccer, both yep. the men and the women. What else do we have left? Uh, for local? Well, we got a little bit more hockey, actually. Well, yeah, that's okay. right, because... Uh, minor we, hockey, the minor hockey, the, um, the BC Elite Hockey League. Okay. Started up again, right? That's right. where all the teams in Caribou hockey are. We had Caleb Wilson on last oh, week. Last oh. was it just last week or no? It was, it was a couple of weeks ago. I think, weeks it, ago, I think yeah. it was an evening show. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But um, they, I believe, started play this past weekend. At least a couple of the teams did. Um, the Northern Capitals, which is the U eighteen AAA female team. It was a rough start to the weekend, but probably not a major surprise as they took on the Fraser Valley Rush. Mm-hmm. And Fraser Valley is the dominant team and has been for several years. The Capitals are usually number two and have knocked them off a few times over the years. But it was 7-1 to one in the first game and 11-1 to one in the second game. So, ouch. Ouch, yes. Uh, the only other team in the uh, Caribou Hockey Grouping to see action on the weekend was the um, U-17 AAA Caribou Cougars men's team. They were playing the South Island Royals, and they beat them 5-2 to two on Sunday, and then beat them again 6-3 to three on the Thanksgiving Monday. Hmm. And let me just check. They are, they are on the road this weekend at the Vancouver Northwest Hawks. The U-15... AAA Cougars are at the Valley West Giants this weekend, and the U18 AAA Cougars host the Thompson Blazers on Saturday at 2 p.m. and Sunday at 10.45, both games at Kin 1. Okay. And the Capitals are off this weekend. They host the Greater Vancouver Comets next weekend. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, and that, uh, that information sent uh, to us via email from Caleb yes. Wilson. Yes. Yeah, I think um, it looks as if we can look forward to getting specific game reports because it came as four separate game reports. Okay. So it's kind of nice, but at the same time, it means you've got to slog through a fair bit of information. Well, that's that, what we have time for, though. Yes. That's the thing, right? Well, not this week so much with all kinds of election stuff going on, but in yeah. future, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else have we got? I don't think I've got any more hockey. Okay. Um, we could talk a little bit of football if you want. We sure, why not? On a couple of different levels. Uh, the uh, Kodiaks finished their first season in the BC Junior Football Conference, losing to the top-ranked team in Canada, Okanagan Sun, 54-7, to at mm-hmm. Massage Place on Saturday. The playoffs start Saturday. This coming Saturday, the Langley Rams playing the Suns, and the Valley Huskers will be playing the West Shore Rebels. Okay. So the Kodiaks finished the season, their first season in the league, at 1-9. and nine. Their one win was against the Valley Huskers, who made the playoffs. And the night, if you can say one nice thing about a, a season where you finish 1-9, and nine, the win was at home. Yeah, that's always so, good. Yes. So the home fans got a chance to celebrate. Cheer the local guys, yes. Yeah. 
And now uh, let's uh, start planning for next year, hoping to have somebody from the Kodiaks in possibly next week even to sort of do a recap. Yeah. And now uh, what happens next? Because obviously with this being their first year, it's all been planning for the first year. Well, now mm-hmm. it's okay. Now you're going to be losing some players and doing some recruiting. So how does this now work out? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah. what uh, What kind of uh, – here's a good question that you probably need to pose to them. What kind of attendance did they get at those games? My understanding was they actually were quite well attended. Good. Yeah. Because uh, Massage Place – Massage Place, I don't even know for sure what the capacity of Massage Place is. That's a good question. Yeah. I, I, think, I think it's a, probably a fair number, though, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of stands on that one side. Yeah. So um, – if I yeah. somebody say a thousand, does that sound? Plausible? I think that that seems yeah. probably about right. Yeah, and I think they were. I think I don't know about all their games, but I think for a few of their games, they were close to full. Right. I would think probably their very first game in existence, their first home game. I think it was probably a sellout. Hmm. That's a game they did, um, and they did a fair bit of stuff in the community as well, working with the community. Like they did a couple right. of. I think a couple of their games they were collecting for the food bank and stuff like that. So, okay. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it will be interesting to see um, what happens with year two. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And uh, the great thing about uh, second season is uh, after you, after you have one under your belt, you have an idea on what you need to work on. Yes. So from the uh, from the uh, general manager standpoint, they know what they, the holes they need to fill. Yeah. Uh, they know what their weaknesses were, what they need to work on as far as practices go, yeah. perhaps some players that they need to scout to fill in some blanks. Yeah. So, yeah, th- there's all this uh, information they now have available yeah. for going into year two. As you were saying, that's information they technically didn't have coming into this year yeah, because they've was, never seen any of these guys play in the BC well some of them had played in the BC Junior Football Conference yeah it was all new teams. All, all new to them yeah. uh, of course they had knowledge of the existing league yes. and the players in that league but when you get a new team together it's hard to know how that's going to match yes. up with the existing uh, franchises and now they know that yeah. so they and, can start to build from there and again the junior football is to some extent, the same as junior hockey. There's a fair bit of rollovers, but every year with most of the teams, probably. Yeah. Players graduating. Well, uh, but again, junior hockey, if, if you're in a league and you've been there for a while, yeah. you know where you are oh, in yeah. the league, right? Yeah. It's easier to map out what your expectations are and uh, scout for the players that you feel you need to mm-hmm. be able to fill those voids. Yep. Um, but yeah, when you're first-year team, oh. so no surprise that they only managed the one one yep. win because yeah. a lot of a lot of learning in the yes. first season for sure. Yeah. And again, they're a Prince George team. A lot of travel. Mm-hmm. No short road trips from up here. No, exactly. Yeah. So here's actually a, a local sports story of note. Ah. Uh, or at least worth passing along. Uh, Indigenous Sport, Physical Activity, and Recreation Council has their uh, Team BC basketball and softball selection camps oh. starting this weekend. Okay. And the reason it's worth mentioning uh, this week is because this is the weekend for yes. the softball. Yeah. 
because you know it's not long and you won't be no. you won't be going outside for much sports no. uh summer sports anyway so yeah that's um on saturday the at spruce city uh softball stadium uh, okay. softball parks so yeah. spruce city stadium uh 10 to ten forty five is the check-in and uh, then the uh uh, players are on the field from 11 to 3. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, that being said, if you need, to, if you want to register, you actually mm-hmm. have to contact iSpark. It's isparc.ca yes. and let them know that you want to be there. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, I don't think they're accepting anyone just walking no, on. No, no walk ins. No. No. And then the basketball, that is up at UNBC. Mm hmm. And that will take place uh, Saturday as well. Okay. Uh, the U fourteen U sixteen U check in from ten to ten forty five on the court from eleven to one thirty, mm-hmm. and then the nineteen uh, U uh, check in from one to one forty five on the court from two to four thirty. And again, you got to make sure you yes. contact iSpark, let them know that you're interested, and then you can go and take part. Yeah. Okay, take one more break and come back with the final portion of Post to Post. Shortly after 10, on the night of September 23rd, Prince George RSMP responded to a report of an assault in progress at a convenience store in the 1500 block of 20th Avenue. Witnesses reported a young female was assaulted by several people. If you have any information about this or any other criminal offense, please contact the RCMP at 250-561-3300 or report anonymously to Crime Stoppers online at northernbccrimestoppers.ca. The Prince George Potters Guild is offering a beginner wheel level one course starting November 15th. The program will run Tuesdays from 6.30 to 9.30 under the instruction of Karen Heatman and Joan Mickelson. The $285 course fee includes six evenings of instruction plus one month of studio time after the classes, clay and the use of guild tools and glazing and firing during classes. There are no prerequisites for beginner wheel level one. For more information and to register, go to studio2880.com slash programs. Okay, so I do have one more soccer note to pass along, and uh, we've been following the uh, Canada West Players of the Week. Yes. Because Michael this Henman year... Michael has been there all the time. Well, yeah, Michael Henman has won it twice. Yep. And the uh, goalkeeper for the men's team right. has won it once. Yep. And I believe one of the players from the women's team actually got a mention I at one point. I think so, yes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, this past week, no players from the men's team were what? mentioned. <laughs> the fact that they didn't play probably helped well, that. Uh, but... Still. Uh, local note is that uh, UBC Okanagan's Ronan uh, Woodruff picked up the Men's Player of the Week mm-hmm. honor, and he's going to be on the field against Prince George ah. on Saturday at noon. Okay. So that's um, the player, player to watch for. Yes. Yeah. And uh, also a reminder that if you can't make it to UNBC Timberwolves games, you can register or sign up with Canada West TV mm-hmm. to watch them on your at home and on your uh, laptop yeah. or computer. And you'll get the soccer and the basketball. Or yeah, or maybe even your phone if you want. Yes. But yeah, uh, Canada West TV just go to uh, Canada West 
Is it dot com or dot ca? Ah, dot org. CanadaWest.org. Just, just to throw it. And their homepage would have the link for the yes. Canada West TV. Yeah. And I've actually got one other little soccer note. Mm-hmm. Major League Soccer. Major okay. League, the Professional Soccer League. The Vancouver Whitecaps were ninth in the Western Conference going to their final game of the season. And if they win it, they're in. They lost 2 nothing to United FC, representing Minnesota. Hmm. So they didn't make the playoffs. Uh, Toronto FC, the Whitecaps can sort of look down on them. They finished 13th in the East. Mont- CF Montreal, though, second in the East, two points out of first place. Mm-hmm. So they are into the playoffs and hoping to have a pretty good run. No, for sure. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I've really got is some other football. But uh, have you got anything else, or should we just go into that? Uh, let's go into the other football. Okay, we'll start with the CFL. This past weekend again, the CFL is back to their regular scoring system. Hamilton edges Saskatchewan 18-14. to Toronto edges BC 23-20. to Ottawa edges Montreal 24-18. And Winnipeg clobbers Edmonton 48-11. to now, what Alan means by that is every week early on in the season, it seemed like they had three close games yeah. and then one blowout. And then a couple of weeks ago, they had three blowouts and one close game. Just to, mm-hmm. But uh, they're getting near the end of the regular season. There are two weeks left in the regular season. Well, coming up this weekend, Ottawa hosts Montreal. Calgary's at home to Hamilton. Uh, those games are on Friday. Uh, Saturday contest, Toronto at Edmonton and BC at home to Winnipeg. Yes. Now, in the West, Winnipeg, BC, and Calgary have all clinched playoff spots. In the East, Toronto has. Mm-hmm. And the team that gets the bye this week is Saskatchewan, and they're going to be keeping a close eye on things because they are 6-10. and 10. So they're going to be keeping a close eye on the teams back East, especially Montreal, because Montreal is 7-8, and eight, so they are ahead of Saskatchewan for that uh, fourth spot in the... Uh, well, for that final playoff spot, if you will. Okay. Saskatchewan hoping to get the crossover by finishing ahead of Montreal. I thought the top two from each side advanced. Oh, that's right. Sorry, yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah Montreal is worrying about Hamilton. Yes, at uh, five and They're ten. four games or four points back yeah. at five and ten. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, Hamilton uh, ten points, uh, Saskatchewan 12 points, so Saskatchewan isn't out of the woods yet. No. No. And, and that just, would determine the extra team. Yeah. And if you just look at the records, the best game of the weekend should be Winnipeg and BC. Winnipeg 14 and 2, BC 11 and 5. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the way BC has been playing recently. Yeah. Yeah. They have not been looking too good. No. They but, are in the playoffs. Yeah, they are in the playoffs. So yeah. That's the, that's the good side. It's yes. uh, Saskatchewan that's really struggled. Yes. They, they they started off pretty good. Yeah. And now they look like they should be in the Eastern Conference. Then they remember they were Saskatchewan and... No, settle down. I'm sorry. Yes, that was not... That was cruel and unusual. Yes. Uh, NFL, for a pleasant change, well, for a change, because we used to be able to say their game tonight, well, there isn't a game on Wednesday night, of course... Uh, the Thursday game, though, is Washington at one and four at Chicago, two and three. Mm-hmm. And most of the rankings that I see each week, power rankings on the different websites, both of those teams are down near the bottom right now. Right. So, 
Uh, the Sunday night game, though, Dallas at 4-1, and one, visiting Philadelphia. The Eagles, the only unbeaten team at 5-0. and oh. mm-hmm. And then the Monday night game, Denver at 2-3 and three at Sandy at L.A., where the Chargers are 3-2. and two. So that'd be, Kind of a lightweight Monday yeah, night game then. Yeah. Eh? Well, it's, it's an important game in the divisional standings, though. Yeah. With them, yeah. And this is the first of the bye weeks as well. Okay. Three of the teams are probably more than happy to see a bye. The Lions are 1-4. and four. The Texans are 1-3-1. One, one. The Raiders are 1-4. and four. The Titans probably wouldn't mind keeping playing. They're 3-2. and two. Mm-hmm. So having a bye right now, eh, they probably would have liked to have it a little bit later when they maybe needed it. So you mentioned one team that uh, has not lost yet. Yes, the Eagles. A uh, bit of a surprise. There are no teams that have uh, are undefeated. Yeah. Everyone has well, at least one win. Yes. So that's kind of and, good so yeah. far, early, some, somewhat early in the season. Yes. And I think I would be remiss if I did not mention um, the uh, Packers on the weekend. Mm-hmm. became, I believe, the last NFL team to play in London. Oh, okay. Yes. And they lost to the New York Giants. Right. It was close, but they lost. Yes. So... So why are you saying you would have been remiss? Uh, well, because I know that somebody in the area is a Packers fan. I almost put the hat on. Yes. On Monday, and then I thought, well, no, they lost. I yes. don't need to. No. Don't need to take that kind of ribbing from no. uh, sad sack individuals like yourself. I am waiting for the day that you show up wearing the uh, Packers hat, and Jesse Church shows up wearing a San Diego uh, San Jose Sharks hat. Yeah, but they don't. They never play each other. No. Uh, NHL worth yes. mentioning. Hockey night in Canada ah. back on the air yes. on Saturday. Yep. Uh, Toronto hosting Ottawa in the early game. The night game will have uh, Calgary at Edmonton, Battle oh. of Alberta. So yeah. well worth tuning in. Um, what else do we have? Oh, one last thing to mention. Yes. Uh, unless you're listening to the rebroadcast. Uh, don't forget, this evening, 6 to 8, yes. we have an all-candidates form live down here at the Q3 Creative Business Hub, the corner of Quebec and 3rd Avenue. You can come in attendance or listen on the radio, or I believe we will also have it streaming on our Facebook page. Okay. Wow. So there's a, there's a non-sporting competition that uh, yes. means a lot, I think, to Prince George. Means a George. lot to the city, yes. Yeah. Well, not just uh, the city, oh. but even the school board. Yes. You know, that's that's an oh. interesting mm. one because you only have yeah. one uh, incumbent coming back. Or two. Two? Oh, that's right. Because yeah. uh, Mahoney, Mahoney had been this year, in there yes. for half a year. Yeah. Uh, but one that yes. has been there for a while. So three and new faces for sure. Yeah, we'll have uh, an interesting... Yeah. Uh, yeah, and see and, what happens. And I'll have interviews with more of the candidates tomorrow on After Night. And, and tonight we'll also have uh, voting in details on where to go and how to vote and all yes. that sort of thing. So uh, worth tuning in tonight at 6. Of course, if you're listening to the rebroadcast, well, you uh, missed it bad. maybe. Yeah. Uh, so till next week when we, I hope we'll have a lot more local stuff because yes. we won't be tied up with this whole election thing. Yes. Uh, we'll call it a day here on Post to Post. 
You're listening to CFIS-FM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFIS-FM is owned and operated by the Prince George Community Radio Society. Prince George 5-Day Forecast from Environment Canada. A few clouds overnight, winds in the south at 20 and a low of 2. For Thursday, mainly sunny, south winds continuing at a high of 17. A few clouds Thursday night, south winds becoming light near midnight, a low of 4. For Friday, cloudy with a high of 14. Saturday and Sunday, sunny each day. Lows near 6, highs of 18. And the long-range forecast for Monday and Tuesday, a mix of sun and cloud each day. Lows near 5, highs around 15. This is 93.1 CFIS-FM. Welcome back to the music you grew up with. 